Hello and welcome to an extra special, extra wonderful, extracurricular, and fully on this time extra episode of Normandy FM. Uh, I am Eric Van Allen, one of the co-hosts here at Normandy FM, and I'm joined by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing? I'm in pain. Yeah, this is a bad time for, for you to have jaw pain. You, yep, you should have planned pain, better. I've been stabbed multiple times in the arm, and that's healing, and just... Not feeling it this evening. Not feeling it, Mr. Krabs. Well, Ken, you're going to have to start feeling it, because we are doing the Normandy FM momentary diversion Q&A episode. I've christened it as as such. It is that now. I don't don't have to think of a name. As its Christian name now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... We've been talking about this for a while, but a couple weeks back, a fan reached out and was just kind of like, hey, you know, have you ever thought about doing a Q&A episode for your listeners? And while we do have the Patreon tier that allows you to submit questions to us, um, you can head over to patreon.com slash normdfm and check that out. Uh, we have been, we decided that we would do one week where we just take whatever questions people decided to send in and to celebrate all the awesome like backing that we've received i mean this was this podcast was conceived basically as a way for ken and i to just talk about mass effect once a week for a bunch of weeks (laughs) and uh yeah and it's it's really grown in a way in ways that we never quite expected and y'all have been with us through it you have watched us kind of get the patreon under our feet and get everything set up and go through week after week of fine-tuning the show and fine-tuning the way that we handle it and so as a thank you uh we will now answer your questions i ken i believe we didn't receive any that we had to veto uh, unless you did that silently away from me if we didn't get I any like what's your social security and, number <laughs> i mean somebody might have asked for it but we Oh, we did get asked for our social security number. You're right. <laughs> um, but other than that, uh, you know, we got a nice mix here of Bioware and non-Bioware questions. Uh, and we're just going to run down the list. Uh, I will read each of them out, and then Ken and I will kind of discuss. And we'll go from there. Uh, I To keep things nice and brief, we probably won't do too much, like, conversation back and forth. So we're not going to spend, like you know, half an hour on every question. Some of them are going to be pretty straightforward. Uh, but, you know, well, there's no time limit on this thing. There's no real limits on this thing on the number of questions that we got. So, uh, Ken, you ready? Yeah, I guess so. We're, we're just going to read down the list here? We're just going to go straight down the list because we uh, get to start the, with we'll a We got banger. a riveting one. We got, right here we got the a banger at the top. A friend of the show, Jesse Vitelli, reaches out, says, Hey, is cereal soup? Uh, Ken, I'll, I'll tackle this one first. All right. No, it's not. Oh, cool. You know, that was what I was going to say, too. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and give my straight-up reason here. Uh, soup has broth in it. There you uh, go. Soup has uh, some amount of cooking that is required. You know, heat is normally a factor in soup, I guess. I mean, no, you even eat stuff like uh, clam chowder, so... Yeah, there is no broth. Milk is not a broth. So I would not consider cereal a soup. I would. Cons- I mean, if you do consider it a soup, you've been eating some sad soup, man. You just gotta 
gotta up your soup game a little bit. Get some or bone some broth. sad cereal, like you eating some soupy <sighs> garbage. Well, hold on now. There is. I wrote an article a while back when I was at Compete, uh, which was about a Dragon Ball player who heated, he microwaved his cereal milk and then poured his cereal into the hot cereal milk. Like he put <laughs> a full sixty seconds on that on that bowl of milk and then he dumped some cereal into it. And the worst thing is, I don't think that sounds too bad. It depends, it's would it depend on like, the cereal that you're eating? Like it depend on Yeah. Mm. Lucky Charms are not going to go well into that. Like, yeah, I don't you want need the something a little savory. Yeah, you need you to need, get some. Like, don't put some fucking. Fruit, don't put Fruit Loops in that shit. None of that. I'm thinking no. a Wheaties or like a uh, or a Frosted Mini Wheats. I bet that mm. could be all right. I, anything sugary is just going to get really weird in there. I think like Raisin Bran is probably the most sugary you could go with that. Otherwise, you're just looking at something like Total. You know, Life. Does anyone eat Life? Is that is that the thing? You know, Do what I'm talking sell about, that right? shit anymore. I haven't seen it in the cereal aisle in many a year. I know. Is it still around? Is life still around? <laughs> no. There's, there's your next answer for the Q&A. No. Uh, friend of the show, DJ Stormageddon, asks, Who is the gayest Bioware character, and who do you wish was gayer? Um, that sounds like my area of expertise, so I'll, I'll talk That really does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as for who the gayest character is, hmm, I'm not a fan of necessarily... Saying quantifying like it. quantifying gayness and like saying that something is more or less gay than anybody else, so I'm gonna kind of veto that question on air. Um, as for That's who fair. I wish was gayer, Alistair, that would have been dope for him to have been gay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I've had that answer in my back pocket for a while. Um, yeah, I kind of agree with you there. Is the the most gay sort of thing? Um, you know, I I feel like. As we've gone through the series, we found that that can be expressed in different ways. You know, like Cortez from Mass Effect Three expresses his sexuality in ways that are different from Dorian and different mm-hmm. from Anders and stuff like that. So it's all going to vary wildly. Um, that's not even touching on like Sarah and stuff like that, uh, which we will be talking about in Inquisition. I'm very excited to talk about that because uh, I have a weird story involving my own playthrough and and Sarah and how that kind of opened my eyes up a little bit to how romance is often handled in games. Yeah. But uh, in terms of who I wish was gayer, I do have a very solid answer to this, I believe. Uh, that'd be Jack. Um, Big fair. Big yeah. fair. Yeah. Hey, Bioware, it's kind of weird to write a character and explicitly state that she's bisexual and then not have her have a bisexual romance path. Like, kind of strange, you know? Kind of fucked up. Yeah. Maybe, you know, like, don't do that. <laughs> um, friend of the show, Blake Hester, asks, first time, long time here, question for the host, what is beauty? I consider something to be beautiful. It may not guarantee that you will find it to be the same. But is there a deeper beauty that everyone can agree upon agree upon or a form that is inherently beautiful Ooh, this is the question right objective beauty what is why the it? fuck I mean, what, do we first ask, of all, what is ask beauty, a question right <laughs> yeah. um i define beauty as something that sparks uh joy you know not to mm. not to just use that as like the meme way the marie kondo way but something that elicits a feeling of happiness but mostly I ascribe beauty to a certain like form 
and not form in the cosmetic like aesthetic like appearance way like oh my god you're beautiful uh but like i think the way that a production line could be incredibly efficient and simple can be beautiful in that simplicity so i feel like (laughs) beauty then is an expression of a form that is pleasing and and rewarding i guess if, if that mm. makes sense, does that kind of get across to you what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I'm, I'm following your, your logic there. Um, yeah. My thoughts on this. Blake Hester has had two contributions <laughs> to Normandy <laughs> FM because he doesn't play these games. He refuses to, to play them so he can come on. One was this question. The other one was the theme music to the Mass Effect seasons of the show. Yes, and I think, yes. And I think one of those was beautiful. The other one was not. Wow, why would you diss his music like that? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, Blake Hester, for those who don't know, uh, I mean, I think we only mentioned this like way back at the beginning, but Blake Hester is not only a friend of the show and a friend of ours, uh, but he's a wonderful freelance writer. Uh, you should follow all of his work. He is on Twitter, at Metallica is rad. And he also composed our theme song that we've been using this whole time. So uh, get on him for, for that. For the Mass Effect like, the, the what? Yeah. For, yeah, for the Mass Effect ones. The Dragon Age ones, yes. somebody else. Yes, um, the the Mass Effect theme music. Sorry, my bad. Um, yeah, so if you like that music and you want to commission stuff from him, hey, he's a good musician too. I bet you he would be open to that. Uh, I guess for the second part of his question, is there a deeper beauty that everyone can agree upon? No. Uh, yes, I say mm. yes because because the um, what's the the ratio the the Fibonacci spiral the where it, where it uses the fibonacci ratio the golden ratio where it goes like one one two three five eight like where it's like sequential like that and it's a naturally occurring spiral that you find in nature a lot i think that is like objectively beautiful that there is a mathematical pattern that is not only quantifiable and understandable in sort of the way that we understand mathematics and numbers and uh, do you ever think about that, Ken? That somebody no. just had to arbitrarily invent math? Like, just be like, well, that's hey, fair, that's fair. I have one thing and one thing, and now it's two things. But now we need to understand why two things and two things make four things. And, like, that's cool to me. But the fact that we found in nature, which, for all that we know, is, depending on what whatever belief you ascribe to, uh, could be made by anything, but that there is like naturally occurring ratios within the universe is beautiful. That 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 math exists there and is reflected in the world. That is objectively beautiful. If you don't agree, you're just wrong. Sorry. Well. Uh, also, the video game Soma. If you like that game, you are objectively a better person. <laughs> As I said that today. Um, friend of the show, Amy Hart says, which game in Dragon Age has the overall best cast? Who is your second favorite Whoa, let's character? Take them one, no, let's take them one at a time. We want to go one at a time? Okay, okay. Yeah. Start with which game in Dragon Age has the overall best cast. Ken, you can go first. Uh, I, mm, I feel like I will be better equipped to answer that question after we finish Inquisition. Um, one thing I can definitively say, though, is it's not Origins, because half of that cast is completely forgettable and has been forgotten in the sands of time of Dragon Age. Because um, I don't know, like, I feel like my what I've told a lot of people is that my favorite character in the Dragon Age or in Inquisition, but I think in terms of like a most well-rounded cast, it's probably two. 
I could see that. My feelings are that definitely Inquisition's characters feel very deep. Um, and in moments you see them interact, but the way that the entire cast holistically acts together, uh, too, is a little bit stronger in that regard. That being said, um, there are characters I would extremely go to the bat for in Inquisition. And, and not the thing that I think gives Inquisition the edge for me over to is that it's not just characters that are in your party, but the characters outside your party also feel extremely developed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people like Scout Harding or your advisors or stuff like that. Uh, they're very well-developed characters on the periphery even. So that mm. kind of gives it the edge for me. And they also get out of like the systems of like the past games where so like you don't have to like they get out of like friendship and rivalry and things like that. So you're kind of mm-hmm. able to know these people kind of regardless of how you treat them and like, and how they react and just certain things you do. So I think maybe Inquisition gives that cast more opportunities to shine in ways that Absolutely. the other games don't. So. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Uh, who is your second favorite Dragon Age character? Um, God, I got to think about this one a little bit. Um, Throw a curveball there. Yeah, because I feel like I can... Even getting to my favorite is kind of difficult because it's kind of just a mishmash. Um, I think I'm gonna have to go with Cassandra. Okay. Because I think Meryl is definitely my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cassandra is the only one that can really like fight for that. And then right below that are like Sarah and Morrigan and uh iron bowl and yeah those that's that's right about there and then maybe like you know some other characters can start to fight up from there like isabella but i think at my top are cassandra and meryl always fighting it out which are the my romantic interests for the first time i played through their respective games but also i find cassandra's just overall arc very interesting because Mm -hmm. I've experienced similar things of like being a person with faith and starting to question that faith. And I feel like Cassandra goes through a lot of those story beats. Uh, I've thought that her, her romantic arc was very good. Um, And I just like all of her interactions. Like, I think she's not just a fun character in a vacuum, but she's a fun character in terms of the cast. Like she always Mm -hmm. has fun things to say, especially when Varric is around. Right. So um, I actually just the other night when I was playing got to the scene where she and Varric are in a fight over a thing that will happen mm-hmm. in Inquisition, and I forgot how good that scene is, especially if you side with Varric and then like kind of confront Cassandra about it afterwards. Right. It's a very, very good scene. So um yeah, no, that's definitely she's up there, and then if I was like trying to sneak in a third, I'd say like Sarah is up there as well, uh, mm-hmm. for reasons that we'll talk about in that episode. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. So the trouble with this is if you were to. Because I feel like I, I would need to remove, like, player characters for me to have, like, a satisfactory answer. Because, like, my two favorite characters in Dragon Age are the Inquisitor and Dorian. And that is. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. So I'm like, okay, I need to take the Inquisitor out and determine who the actual, like, second. Yeah. If we start to count character. the player character, then Hawk suddenly enters the picture for yeah. me. Because I really like Hawk. Yeah. Mm hmm. It's tough because like my answer would have been Fenris probably before we started the show, but now I'm like, as I talked about like on the season, I'm cooling on him in a way that's just like I think just comes with age and being like 
this angsty relationship doesn't hit the way it mm-hmm. used to. Um, yeah. I think Cassandra might be up there for me as well. And I think it's for similar reasons as what you said, like, watching her struggle in the way that she does in Inquisition. And mm-hmm. I think she, like, really encapsulates, I think, the themes of that game in interesting ways. That, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, her, her mission's really fucking good. Like, just... That's one of the things, like, I'm thinking back on. I'm like, that's gonna hit different now than it did when I first played it, even. Um, yeah. And that's that's an interesting thing because like she's not a character that my player character typically gets along with initially, and I think maybe that's like maybe that's a more interesting sort of um, rivalry dynamic than the one that I had with Fenris and Dragon Age Two. So maybe that's why it's kind of like occupying a similar spot in my brain. Um, okay, yeah, I'm gonna go with tentatively Dorian Cassandra. Okay, yeah. Um... Like in the, in the middle of this, I'm gonna be like, but wait, and change my answer. Yeah, that's that's the hard part, especially picking like a second favorite. Um, and and here's the weirder thing that I'll say: this is like, I have a harder time in Dragon Age with this than I would if I was doing like a Mass Effect character. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and I don't know if that's because I have more passionate feelings about Mass Effect characters, whereas like I'm not as fired up about Dragon Age mm-hmm. characters like on the whole. But um, also because I feel like every time I've played Dragon Age now. I've had a very different experience with the characters. Mm-hmm. Like I tend to mm-hmm. focus on different characters. I tend to notice different things about different characters. I tend to like see in certain characters, like storylines and just things that really uh, draw me in that I didn't see before. So in that way, I find that Dragon Age's characters like keep me wanting to learn more in a way that sometimes Mass Effects don't because you get to spend so much more time with Dragon Age characters. Mm-hmm. I think there's a weird thing about it, and I think it comes from, like, changing protagonists and changing settings. Like, I feel like I have to sort of recontextualize every single one of those characters, every new game. Like, every game, like, there's, like, I have to approach them mm-hmm. from different angles and different, like, the relationship is something different. Because, like, when I am interacting with people with Hawk, I interact with them differently than I would if, like, I was the Inquisitor or the Warden. And so I think the relationships change, mm-hmm. like, just because yeah. of who you're playing. So I think... Un, like seeing these characters in those different contexts can kind of shape how you feel about them in the moment. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Uh, if you could swap Mass Effect characters with Dragon Age or vice versa, who do you feel would be a good fit for each world? Let's say uh, we're going to pick one character from Dragon Age to put in Mass Effect and one for vice versa. So if, mm-hmm. we had to, if we had to swap one into the other, which one would we do? Um and I'll do my Dragon Age into Mass Effect first. Okay. And I would just say, I guess... Oh, I'm going back and forth now. I thought I had a good answer locked in, and then I was kind of questioning it. Um, I like Shale a lot um, moving into Mass Effect, just because I felt like in Mass Effect, a lot of, a lot of your characters were very humanoid- I guess, mm. and Shale is a little bit different in that respect, and also so, I always wanted, like, an Elcor, like, squad mate mm. or something like that, so that could be interesting, but also now that I'm thinking about it, and also, you know, Iron Bowl is, kind of hits the same notes as, like, your Krogan squad mates do, and, um, you know, I feel like a human character going over would just be kind of too easy, because um, you already get so many human characters in there, so... My question about this scenario is, do we just get them, like, plopped into the other universe exactly as is, or do we kind of, exactly like... Exactly as is. They just re- get plopped okay. into the universe. Because I was wondering, like... Water. 
I would okay. I guess that recontextualizes the whole thing for me then, because I was thinking like if we were to put somebody like from Mass Effect into Dragon Age and kind of like figure out what their equivalent role is in that universe, the idea of like oh, Jack. I mean, you can. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Like the idea of like Jack being like an apostate mage that is like oh, that's yeah just absolutely wrecking anybody that tries to get in her way like I guess that, that's what I get hung up on is like what are the equivalents of Mass Effect and Dragon Age that would be like the thing mm. that determines whether or not they're a good fit for that universe or not okay well would Shale then be like an Elcor essentially like if if that transferred over then or would, I guess would that be closer to like no not well Sten. the thing is like she's way too expressive to be in Elcor. Yeah. Huh. I'd have to think about that. Maybe Shale would then be like uh, a character that's like using a mech suit or something like that. Like they mm. were they were damaged when they were young. You know, they got like, you know, there was a terrible thing that attacked their village or something like that. And then they became like they had to get put in a mech suit. You know, they got you've never played StarCraft, so you don't know what a Dragoon is, but you know, like that. <laughs> um Hmm. I don't know. If I if I was doing that then then maybe for my Dragon Age character that would port over I think like Solus as a biotic would be interesting. Um or Anders, I don't know. Is there such thing as like space spirits? <laughs> <laughs> um but on the flip side from my Mass Effect into Dragon Age um Man, see now I'm just thinking about how cool the Jack idea is. That is a really good idea. I like that a lot. I think I'm gonna steal your answer there, and that would be my right, answer. Well, well we got a consensus. We can. Yeah. That that's our final answer. Um, Jack, the kick-ass apostate mage. I don't really know. A Dragon Age character to Mass Effect is tougher though, because um, I feel like the parallels there aren't quite as easy. Sandal into Mass Effect, and he is like yo out here making like uh fucking weapon upgrades and shit. And when he says enchantment, nobody knows what he's talking about. But they're just like, okay, cool, you've specked out my rifle. And then like you shoot the gun, and it like lights things on fire and stuff. You're like, what'd you do? And he's just like enchantment, <laughs> and you're like, yeah. oh man, now I want that. That's really good. I like that a lot. <laughs> well, that's what he was doing when he, when everybody else was in Inquisition. He was transferring dimensions over to Mass Effect. And... He's like he's like Siri from The Witcher, you know. He just <laughs> pieced out into an alternate dimension for a little while. Um, man, I'm referencing all the games that you don't play today. I, like, I was like, I have no point of reference for this shit. Uh, Adam on Twitter. So now we are through friends of the show who submitted their questions. We're on to our Twitter questions. What are some non-Bioware franchises you would love to play for the podcast? I mean, Ken. We know this answer. We do know we this said, answer. Danganronpa. Hell obviously. yeah. Like, that's... I think when we've talked about it before, when we've been like, if we had to personally choose what series we would want to do after this, probably Danganronpa. If only then, that would make Ken be able to like fully commit me to having to watch all of that anime. That You uh, call it that anime as if it's not like the canonical third entry of that story? It's amazing how I managed to play V3 and still fully appreciate the story without playing a single Because I told you what of... happened in Danganronpa 3. <laughs> I love that you told me that the Despair Girls was going to play into V3 too. <laughs> it was a no, complete I... lie. No, I didn't. I said it was going to play into 3. 
Oh, yeah, I did for whatever. Anyways, if you want to make, if you want to hear this for a podcast, that's that's an option if you get us to that tier. Um, but Danganronpa one and two, and even V three, I would say and V3. three and we, like if in the scenario where we play Danganronpa, yes, we play yes, the whole fucking thing. All, we would do all of them. I'm just saying that like Danganronpa one, two, and V three are like some of my favorite mystery games of all time um i've always kind of wanted to go back and visit them but it's been they're very straightforward so i don't know how much i would appreciate going back to them i Um, think but maybe there's been enough time because i would have played them back in like 2015 or i think it was the the very beginning of 2015 because you and i knew each other at the time and we did yes like yeah um i think yeah, like the mystery, like okay, you're obviously gonna know where things are going, but I think that's that right. series is still very interesting, and especially after V three ended and like sort of like the meta textual stuff that happens that happens, I like watching that series sort of live and die on its own terms in a way that I don't think most video game series get to do, and I think that makes it a very fascinating. Because uh, like I mean, even. Well, I mean, I guess Mass Effect's not this way, but like that that series has a very definitive like start and ending. Like it, it says what it needs to say, and then it gets out. V three does its whole thing that is basically like establishing no, that was the story that we wanted to tell, and we would like to do other things. And whether that pays off, we'll see, I guess. But uh, the writer Kodaka is not at that company anymore, so uh-huh. I guess if nothing else, like, that can be his definitive thing that he wants to say, and Spike himself is free to do whatever they want. Um, other than that, though, the thing I struggle with is, is that I feel like this, the sort of format of the show that we have works best when it is things that we have both experienced and have, like, some degree of knowledge of, because... Yeah. Not, like, and this wasn't, this isn't, this isn't like, any, like, stab, jab against you or anything, but, like, some of the more frustrating moments of, like, the Andromeda season were when you would say something and I would have to be like... <laughs> But, it, but like, the, you know, the thing that you're annoyed by is going to be resolved by the end of the game or something like that. And, right. And I think if, like, people, everyone involved has the knowledge of what's coming up and can really contextualize every moment of what we're doing, it works uh-huh. out better. And I think that's why, you know, the show, the, sh- the best moments of the show have been the ones where we can speak holistically about stuff. Because, I mean, like, I would love to do something like, you know, like The Last of Us, I would love to do that, but you didn't play those and... Um, you know, other things, but I I feel like we, we best, like, the show that we have made best works in, like, a very specific pool of games and series that we both have at least, like, a certain level of knowledge of. Yeah, because I, I would say, like, franchises creates a weird thing there, too, because there are plenty of, like, single-shot games that I would love to subject you to, like, um, Disco Elysium, mm-hmm. Vampire Bloodlines, um... Fallout New Vegas would be a really interesting one because I'd actually be fascinated. Have you ever played? Because I know you have played a Fallout at one point in I your life. I played Fallout 4. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on New Vegas because, like, my opinion has always been that I don't like the Bethesda Fallouts, like, mm, 3 and 4. Okay. But, I, but I think New Vegas is, like, an incredible RPG. It's, it's what Fallout should be right. uh, for, like, a very wide array of reasons. But, um... I think beyond that, honestly, we could start if we if we even expand this beyond games. I think it could be interesting for us to like look at 
not games like i'd be down to do an anime <laughs> like um i don't know if you've ever watched like full metal alchemist brotherhood or like mm-hmm. cowboy bebop i know we've talked about like in person before but i don't think you've actually seen it all the way through no um but stuff like that would be really interesting but mm-hmm. um that also then adds like a little layer of like it being a game is kind of interesting and it being an rpg where we have these yeah. characters that we've crafted and stuff like there's just a lot of x factors that i think have gone into what makes normandy fm what it is and also like the reason why when we have guests on they're always so passionate and stuff is that they have attachments to these characters but these specific games drive that in a way that you don't see in right really a lot of other games i mean i don't know maybe i mean i wouldn't want to step on on fodlin's uh turf but like fire emblem is the closest thing i can think of or like persona i guess we could do yep. persona god i mean don't have to tell me twice yeah no i can't believe i just had that cursed thought because now i've put it out into the world that persona 5 could be a thing that we do and then we'd have to tackle with all the things that that entails but also that feels like the maybe the closest non-bioware thing that could still fit our format and our mm. structure of the show Oh God! <laughs> if I thought Inquisition was gonna be a long playthrough, <laughs> um, Alice on Twitter asks, "What are some games that you guys love that you believe are underrated?" Mm. Um, That's a big so question. let's let's we can rapid fire this back and forth because I don't think we need to spend too long on it. And and honestly, like I don't mean to make this sound like hipster or anything, but like. We do have plenty of games that we like that are not like commonplace well loved. Mm. Like I've already mentioned Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, which is kind of a cult hit that I feel like was either really beloved at the time by a set of critics or has only recently become beloved again because obviously the sequel's coming out this year and I cannot wait for it. I'm very excited for it. Um it's a game that is in my top ten easily. But also, like, I'm in a weird place right now where a lot of my cult favorites are weirdly being revived, because, like, normally The World Ends With You would be my Mm. answer for this, and now it's getting an anime, and there's, like, rumors of a sequel, too, so I'm sitting here like, I thought I was the only one who liked that game, (laughs) so, um, there is one that I tend to trot out pretty often that, I'll I'll do two, because, so, the first one is what is my front runner for game of the year this year uh is called umarangi generation uh u-m-u-r-a-n-g-i generation uh it is to explain it as briefly as possible without any spoilers for what it does in about three hours of runtime uh it is a semi like open walk around sort of hub world thing that is a pokemon snap alike where you are taking pictures of things and you are given a list of things that you need to take pictures of but it's set in a future that is rapidly decaying let's put it that way and it's also got a very heavy maori influence because i believe the developer uh is is maori and included a lot of that culture in there and it is in three hours is absolutely one of the most engaging games i've played so far this year uh it just does a lot with sense of place and like 
communicating things without words, which sounds really silly, but it really gets a lot across by just putting you in a place and telling you to start taking pictures of things. Um, but the other one I bring up is actually a game that came out near the end of the PS3, start of the PS4 life cycle, which actually would have been around like 2015-ish. Um, and, and it was only on the PS3 and the Vita, so nobody played it. Um, it's called Lost Dimension. Mm. And it's a game that I know, as far as I know, the only people who really care about this game are myself and friend of the show slash um, former whatever, like co-writer uh, David Roberts is also really mm. into this game. Uh, it is a roguelike valkyria chronicles-esque game where you have a team of i guess you'd call it like specialists like superpowered kids who are climbing up this tower to stop this dude before he starts the end of the world and you go through these different sets of battles and between the battles you can hang out with members of your team you know you have your main character and you have various different members of your team and when you hang out with them you develop like relationships that build up social links like persona but you also develop like trust between each other and then when you're in a battle it has this thing where your character is psychic and they can sense whether there is discord in the group and the reason you have that is because as you begin to find out as you climb the tower there is a traitor in your group uh every floor at the end of it you will have to go through like a danganronpa style vote where you submit a vote and then depending on how you've influenced various characters while you've been hanging out with them between battles they will vote for people as well and majority vote will execute somebody uh and then you'll move on to the next floor and so you kind of go back and forth between playing politics playing tactics and then doing the social link stuff and there was this really incredible moment I had while playing it where I got to the second to last floor and I realized I hadn't done all that I could and I ended up narrowly losing a character who I knew was not a, not only not a traitor, but like my favorite character, my most high trust character was executed in front of me and I had to go into the final floor and not only fight the last dude but the traitor that was in my group that turned them against that person and this is all procedurally generated it's a different mm. traitor every time you play the game it's not story driven like that um and once when you kill a traitor someone else will become the traitor like there will always be a traitor uh every floor and i know there is a true ending to that game where you can get through it without having to kill anyone and all that i've never done that route but it is it's a game that does and this was like in 2015 man this was five years ago that this game was doing it and no one played it <laughs> and if there's any game that i've wanted to see just get revived it's that it's such an incredible game that i don't think it's talked about nearly to the level that it should have been so that's i guess that's my pick that was one note kind of, that, that sounds like extremely my shit but when you told me that it was all uh, procedure generated. I was like, uh, I. It's like part better of the... constructed than that sounds. Like, trust me, the the storylines and the social links do not feel procedurally generated. They okay. feel like they are crafted. Because that was always like the thing that I when you told me that, 
that came to my mind is like the one thing that I like about like Danganronpa, which is you know a very easy comparison to make, is that mm-hmm. the motivations were there and they were like weaved into the story in one way or another. So like when you're like, oh, it's procedurally generated, that sounds like, oh, they just you know it's like randomized and they just pick somebody and I don't know that. The it is that, really but it good. is not that. Trust okay. me, like it is, it is that, and it is not that at the same time. And I'm not saying it's a perfect game. It a hundred percent has flaws, but uh, it's a game that I really loved in spite of its. I think I ended up reviewing it and giving it like a seven point five or an eight or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm pretty sure it was one of those games where it's like you give it a seven, but it's the best seven you've ever played. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So for. When you say underrated, I. When I say underrated. No, no, like when when this what, like this question of like you believe a game is underrated or anything's underrated, I feel like you, you kind of have to take in like the scale of the thing, mm, as opposed to cause like, because like I could be like oh you know this, in the visual novel that's on Steam that's that I got for like two dollars, is underrated because nobody else is playing it, but like. When you say underrated, I think more along the lines of, like, based on the, like, say, the the budget, the marketing, and, like, like the presence that it has when it comes out, mm-hmm. when I feel it's underrated. So the answer I feel like I'm going to lean towards is, like, the Sly Cooper series. And the okay. main reason I say that is because Ratchet & Clank still fucking exists in 2020. Like, there's a new one coming out on PS5. and it it, a movie. Yeah, it had, it had a movie, and um, the quote-unquote remake, re- whatever you want to call it, um, they came out on PS4, was, like, super successful for them. Uh, the movie wasn't, but that's not really, that's, you know. Um, whereas Sly Cooper, like, went away for a long time, it came back once, and then was... I feel like it got caught up in a lot of, like, Sony's very piss-poor marketing of the PS3 era, which meant that they would just put things on shelves and barely say a word about it. And then it, le- then it left on a cliffhanger that I have been waiting to for seven years now to be to be resolved there was a movie at one point it got changed into a tv show that has disappeared from the internet nobody that i've talked to knows what happened to that thing and it frustrates me because like i feel like that series has not been replicated or like has anything that's similar to it in terms of like style and just like the general tone of it like like if you were to compare roger and clank to like a pixar movie i would compare it's like over to more like a nickelodeon saturday morning cartoon um, of like an early 2000s, late 90s era. Um, and that's just like more interesting to me than Ratchet and Clank. The thing that, like, and I don't hate Ratchet and Clank, I don't mean to sound like that, but like, that it was the one in that sort of like trilogy of, um, that, that, not trilogy, like that trio of, uh, mascot platforms that Sony was doing at the time that kind of, I don't want to say failed or had a flop because I don't really think that's fair to call it that because I think it has more negative connotations than the last Sly Cooper game really deserves. I think it, Again, I think it was just a marketing thing of so many shitting games on the shelf and not ever acknowledging them in any meaningful way. Um, I think it's just really unfortunate that that series has not been given the opportunity to come back. Um, my other answer would... And I, I don't imagine this game has aged well. I like it... Because I, I want to say it needs a remake, but I don't know that that game as it exists would be worth revisiting in 2020. But um, did you ever play Haunting Ground, the, that Capcom horror game? 
50 oh, okay, so I get that one confused with Rule of Rose all the time in my head, mm. but that's not, or wait, no, it's not the same game, right? No. Okay. But Haunting Ground is the one where you're the girl and you're running around, and I think there's a dog, too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I know which one you're talking about. And so that was I've, coming out... I've heard a lot of people like that game. Like, yeah, it's... Because, it, like, it came out around the same time as, like, Devil May Cry 3 and Resident Evil 4, and, like, Capcom was, like, hitting its fucking stride in that era. And so when you had something that was more of, like, the 6.5, the 7, it kind of, you know, gets swept under the rug of that era. But then, like you said, there are people that played it at the time, really, really love that game, and, have, like, want to remake and stuff. But I don't know that, like, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of, like implied sexual violence in that game, and uh, okay. a lot of just not great stuff that I feel like parts yeah, of that story would have... It would just, it wouldn't. Hill Two is still beloved, and that game has a lot of that stuff in it. So, like, mm. I think you could probably get away with it. <laughs> maybe. I, I think maybe, like, if you if you look back on something retroactively, you can kind of you know be okay with it. But I think. Oh, but remaking like, is it like yeah, remaking it like fifteen years later when games look like they do now and have a level of fidelity. Just like you know, then it's maybe it's not worth revisiting. But I do think like that's a game that is that is like the definition of an underrated game. I think it just came from mm-hmm. it being in a very particular moment in that company's history where it was, like, the least remarkable thing that they put out in most people's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, that's one of the games I always go back to for this kind of question. Uh, I want to add just one last one to my mm-hmm. to my stockpile. Because um, I was thinking the other, the other day, I always reflect on it that, like, 2017, in my opinion, has been one of the best years of video gaming that I've lived through. Um, it was the year of Persona 5, Danganronpa V3, Yakuza 0, Nier Automata, Breath of the Wild, like, even PUBG and stuff like that was Splatoon 2. Like, a lot of my favorite games of this generation came out in 2017. Uh, that being said, one of them that never gets the love, I believe it should, is Battle Chef Brigade, which is mm. a side-scrolling action game mixed with a match three puzzle game that's about competitive cooking and it absolutely rules and it is so fucking good like i regularly get annoyed at how good that game is because it's just it works in a way that you do not think it would and it somehow perfectly amalgamates like what a competitive cooking environment would feel like and the rush to like run out and actually hunt the things that you need and then consider like what pieces of them you want to bring back to construct a recipe that will provide the most like effective flavors to please the different judges who are all looking for different combinations of things like it's so fucking good <laughs> like, i that own that I, game I, what's up i was gonna say, like, I, was gonna say like, I own that game i got a couple hours into it and I was always like it was never one of those things where like I felt like I bounced off of it because I wasn't feeling it it was just like other shit happened and I just never mm-hmm. got back to it one of those things I should probably get back to at some point it's a it's a relatively short game uh, I mean you could probably beat it in about five six hours it's not a very long campaign and they've had one or two major updates in the years since they have they they added uh i think it's only split screen multiplayer there is not online multiplayer sadly Mm -hmm. i wish there was online multiplayer um but there is a leaderboard with a daily challenge and i was actually following the people who were competing on it um because they were just always like finding different ways of sussing out like okay what's the best ingredients that we can get in the shortest amount of time and that kind of stuff um 
and also but it's got like a little bit of that fighting game mechanic in it because it's very like inspired by things like vanillaware um and again hey another underrated game if you've never played odin sphere uh left left riser the the remake that's on ps4 and should fucking come to nintendo switch um that game also rules but it's very inspired by like vanillaware combat where it's got this real like good fighting game crunchy feel to the combat and then it mixes in match three and cooking god that game is so freaking good i'm just routinely mad about how get how good that game is i would do crimes to get a battleship brigade two. i would do felonies to do it <laughs> um so yeah oh video games they can be good um what do you hope to see with games in general going forward in terms of mechanic story etc alice mm. asks um i'm assuming this means uh games in general um so what do we hope like to as see? the as in terms of the medium yeah, I guess. Mm. It's, it's it's an open question. I mean, uh, they mention mechanics, story, etc. I guess what kind of things we want to see games explore in the future. Hmm. Uh, um, I will say up front, uh, one of the things that I like a lot that I've been seeing more recently uh, has been evolution in the way that quests are designed let's say that um because i went back and you know that saints row 3 remaster came out and it's it's really good it's a really good remaster of that game and i loved saints row 3 the first time i played it um it's it and when i was playing it again i was like yeah this is the saints row 3 that i loved but one of the things that i kind of noticed as i was playing more and that i've also noticed while playing dragon age inquisition and stuff is that I am constantly opening my map in my journal. Like I'm spending all like close to 50/50 split in that game jumping between walking around and getting to different places and opening the map and opening the journal and and figuring that stuff out and then actually playing the game once I get there. Um traversal just becomes this case of like constantly checking a map to see mm-hmm. that I'm going in the right direction and stuff like that. I think games um, Breath of the Wild is maybe the the most notable one, I think, where I started to go, okay, we're moving away from the idea that we need waypoints, I guess, that this game encourages exploration by intentionally obfuscating, like, like it doesn't create this taxonomy of like, okay, over here is the question mark, and that will turn into a thing when you move near it, and that's a b quest and then over here is the c quest and then over here is this kind of quest and here's a shop it's like no that that game just kind of lets the world exist on its own terms it's up to you how you want to engage with it the only thing on the map really is like the shrines and and that's about it um the shrines and the watchtowers uh and then more recently a game that i incredibly bounced off of but i will give it a shout out for this a uh, ghost of tsushima i'm always going to mess that name up um two things that it does really well is that you can talk to villagers to uncover like info about the area around you that will then kind of start to naturally lead you along a quest progression that feels way more natural uh, than your normal average like I'm going to run to a watchtower and go to the top of the watchtower and now I see all the icons now I can run to all the icons and do all the quests um, but also 
the ability to swipe up on the gamepad and just get like a gust of wind mm-hmm. that directs you where to go next that is like the smartest damn thing in a video game i've ever seen and more games need to do shit like that like i don't care how you make it happen but that like just makes so much sense and mm. that world is so well designed around it and i man a, i cannot tell you what a game changer that is for me that's a sucker a sucker punch thing because like even like in fly cooper they were doing th- not they, no, they, not specifically win but like they were making it very easy to like kind of assess where you needed to be where you, where you needed to go um on that note for me what i would like to see i guess because this is a very big question so like a more general thing is just i want games to be shorter i want them to be smaller i want them to be instead of these big stupid fucking open world collect-a-thons i just want things that are gonna like I know I literally just said shorter, but, like, playing The Last of Us Part 2 and then Ghost of Tsushima right next to each other, at least, yes, Last of Us Part 2 is a fairly long game and, you know, whatever, but in terms of structure and, like, always having that forward momentum and never feeling like... Like, one of the things I like least about video games is when I feel like they're wasting my time. Hmm. Okay. And a lot of that comes from just, like, things, like, being big for big sake and... Caving, I don't know if one is that word caving, but like giving into a, a very specific expectation that games should be these things that occupy you for weeks at a time. Mm. I'm very bored of it. I'm I like when I can like play something and it feel like I got in, got out, got in, got what I needed from it, and got out. Where Ghost of Tsushima, like I am a huge Sucker Punch fan. But I bounced off that game fairly quickly, and a lot of it was because it is so large, it is so expansive, and, you know, it's beautiful to look at, and that photo mode it has whips ass, and there is an infamous Second Son uh, band that I need to go find at some point, but existing in that world does not compel me because it is so filled with nothing, but big enough to occupy somebody for like 60 plus hours I'm just like I don't, I don't fucking I don't want to be anywhere for that long much less think, riding a horse around I think the difference for me is I'm going to again use Breath of the Wild because Breath of the Wild is literally like probably in my top three of this generation and I think one of and I know this is actually a reason you bounced off of it but what I liked about it was that it felt like the emptiness of the world was part of the storytelling like I think there's just something that's so tonally different about that game and maybe like Majora's Mask is the only thing that can come close to it or maybe even like Wind Waker but the idea that you are Link who is living in the ruins of a Hyrule that is already lost and been taken by Mm -hmm. Ganon and been swarmed with monsters for years and like there there are parts of that game like where you just stumble upon a battlefield that is littered with like armor and skeletons and like guardians and stuff like that and you know that like that is where your friends died and you are seeing it hundreds of years later and there's no like quest marker that points you there is like a i think in one of them there is a you get one of the memories that you're supposed to unlock with the sheikah plate and all that um but other than that like 
it's the openness of the world is just about like this is where you decided to go this is where link decided to go and it's how you decided to spend your time and i think there's just so much in that game that is about that natural discovery there's like a miyamoto quote about he used to get his ideas for games from like when he would play outside as a kid Mm. and just run around in the woods and stuff and it has that energy and i feel like so many open world games are chasing that energy to have that natural feeling of discovery where you were just playing imagination in the woods and none of them bar a few they tend to be more like theme parks more like here is a very structured way we want you to move through and have fun rather than like why don't you find what fun means to you and discover that? And, and that's not for everyone, but I think that was like a revelation for me. Um, and I will piggyback onto your note about long games by saying that I want games that want less of my life. Let's say right. that not even like a long game, but a game that demands so much investment of time week over week, month over month. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am a naturally, like, I play competitive games a lot. Um, obviously, I have a terrible Dota addiction that I've never been able to break. <laughs> uh, and in fact, while we were discussing this question, my Dota group just pinged me on Discord to say, like, hey, it's time. Um, but I think there are so many games now because of the Battle Pass system. You know, we got rid of... I, f- I feel like we traded one devil for another. You know, we got rid of loot crates and really, like, Overwatch is the only game that still has them at this point. But now we have the Battle Pass. And so now we get to see all the rewards that we can get. But now it's... We've got this free track where you can slowly unlock things, but then you've got the premium track where you can buy the battle pass and then you'll not only level up faster but you'll get the premium track stuff as well but you could earn the other stuff but it's going to take you more time and i know that initially that sounds like a value offering of like okay well which do you value more like time or money and you got to choose which one but i i'm presented with that choice in every multiplayer game now Mm. like every single game comes to me and says okay which do you care more about time or money pick and I think presenting that up front to a player is just going to immediately sour them on that because most most people have time for about one to two of those games in their life, right? right. You know, they, they pick one and then that's their go-to. And every once in a while, a game is good enough to kind of surmount that. You know, like Valorant is the most recent one I can think of where I know a lot of people who just like their new game became Valorant. But for a long time you have to like try and get someone off of that and that's also really difficult because a lot of our play habits are just established over time it's so much easier to just keep playing the same game with somebody versus like convincing your whole friend group to play the new game mm. and i i don't know it's just i i don't think the battle pass model is as sustainable as people want it to be because of that reason and i see games like rocket arena which just came out and they're like oh yeah we've got a battle pass season one battle pass like they're they're launching they haven't they weren't even launched it they were talking about what their first season of content was and i'm just sitting there and going like you were putting the cart before the horse man like you are you are talking about a level of investment that you want people to have and this game's barely out 
and I'm already being presented with a question of, so how many hours do you want to dump into this game? And I just want to play the game. So when I see something like Star Wars Squadrons, where they're straight up saying, like, yeah, we don't really have plans for DLC. We're just going to kind of put the game out there. And I'm hoping that, like, Game Pass will maybe start to soften some of this. And we'll see more uh, stuff like that start to flourish where... The subscription model offers a way for devs to still get money and get the money they need to keep making games and keep developing games, but not necessarily be so reliant on keeping people attached and getting those kind of returns season over season, um, because I just don't think that it's sustainable otherwise. Right. Uh, Before we move on to the next question, I need to give a shout out to Kevin Kulikowski, who just in the middle of this uh, (laughs) sent in some questions. But I just read over them, and we've kind of got equivalent ones, so we're going to answer your questions, Kevin, but not under your name. But yeah, just so you know, we, we see you, we, we hear you, and we will get to your questions in one form or another before the night is out. All right, so, so most of those questions were ones that we have on the list already? Or something that's close enough that I think we'll, okay. talk, we'll answer it in the same way. So. Okay. Um... And then one more question from Alice on Twitter. Oh, what game? What games from previous generations would you like to see remastered besides the long overdue Mass Effect remaster? Uh, obviously Mass Effect, that's an easy answer. Yeah. Um, I think there are a couple just, I don't even know if I'd call them remasters, but like port forwards that I would like to see on the Switch specifically. Like mm. I'm really happy that Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne is getting a remaster on the Switch. I think that is extremely overdue. That game is... A cult classic for a reason it's one that i've never been able to play because it Same. was extremely hard to find and now i'm not finally old enough it. to get that yeah issue for me. I, by the time i knew about it it was a collector's item already right. um i'd love to see a tales of symphonia remaster mm. uh tales of vesperia got a very very good one on the switch and every time i play it and i've i kind of just go back every now and then i play it i chip away at it and i still love that game but every time i play it i'm like man tales of symphonia is a good ass video game <laughs> uh, I, played I think that's game again. i think that's my my like top pick and then the other one which is a game that i haven't played that i would like to see remastered just so i can play it and that i might actually just end up playing anyways for a reason i will explain in a moment uh golden sun uh hmm. i've never played golden sun i've always wanted to uh i can't believe that there isn't a golden sun collection on the switch yet that just baffles my mind that seems like an easy home run so if you're listening nintendo that's free take that do it uh but the analog pocket goes up for pre-order next week and i'm definitely going to try and get one because i recently uncovered my collection of game boy and game boy advance games i would love to play again uh, games like Superstar Saga and uh, Advance Wars, and I even have a copy of Final Fantasy Tactics that I did not have when I was young, but I bought uh, while we were off on one of our mini uh, friendcations, <laughs> uh, Ken and I and, and some other friends, uh, and I would love to play those games again, so I might end up getting like a reproduction cart of mm. Golden Sun to play on that but i would also love to play it on my switch so that'll be my second choice so tales of symphonia and uh golden sun mm. one answer that i would give but i i play these games on my vita and i feel like that's like that's the place where i play them now if i ever feel like playing them but i would like to just like cooper games on a console again but um mm. one of the more egregious like things that has not been remastered that of like this last generation that i was surprised did not get ported somewhere in the past seven years other than fucking pc 
uh, was the Final Fantasy Thirteen trilogy because oh yeah every like nearly every other mainline Final Fantasy has been moved to some modern system lately. Like yeah. there was like a huge wave of them at one point. Um, I think like almost all of them are on Switch or PS4 at this point. Um, but not those games. And I feel like I have had I don't have as fresh memories of the first two specifically because I played them on like my 360, which I by the time that Lightning Returns came out, which I did play multiple times, um, I'd kind of moved on from uh, those and never went back. Um, and I also feel like they they deserve sort of like a sort of reassessment in the face of like Final Fantasy VII Remake, which a lot of people Absolutely. really love. And those games, like or th- that game specifically, really draws from the best parts of those games. Um, so I think that's, those two were probably the biggest ones beyond Mass Effect. But um, I think the Final Fantasy one is especially egregious and should be fixed in the midst of everything else that Square's made. Like, you know, it, it's almost like this initiative within the company to bring Final Fantasy games to as many platforms as possible. And like, but that one or that those three specifically just haven't gotten their due. Yeah, um, I mean, Square is weirdly precious with various parts of its catalog. You know, like they've they've ported Final Fantasy VII, like the original Final Fantasy VII, to so many different machines at this point, but weirdly enough, like, Final Fantasy Tactics is only on a few things, and I know that's Mm -hmm. a game that many people love and would like to play again. Um, And I would like to play on something that isn't a phone. That's kind of, like, my big thing. Is it like, look, I I like my phone, but A, it already chews battery enough when it's not playing a video game, and Mm -hmm. B, like, I just don't like that form factor and tapping and stuff like that. I'd rather, like, switch or something like that, so... And I just use my phone um, for too many other things to use it for, like, a long video game. Like, I've got a couple of things that's on my phone, like Florence, and it found that, like, I that's fine to play on my phone. That takes, you know, a couple hours at most. Um, but I've also got, like, the first Dragon Ball on my phone right now, which I would argue that port is probably at least the second best version of that game, if not the best, depending mm-hmm. on the day. But that's, like, a 20, 25-hour game that I don't want to play on my phone, you know? I could see how that game specifically would be good on the phone. Um, because of the tapping and stuff, which is a reason that I wasn't wild about it on, like, console console, but it yeah. was good on, like, Vita, because mm-hmm. you could tap the Vita screen. And then when I played it on PC, like, mouse and keyboard, like, that works really well. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly well. Um, turns out, controller is not great for everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if, if only Danganronpa was on Switch, then we could talk about whether uh, a theoretical motion control Joy-Con thing would work too. I mean, that could, that could. Be that's. Answered. I mean, that's like it's not a remaster, but that's a fucking egregious, not on a system it needs to be on, on. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. the rights recently reversed. Yeah, that's fair. To went all the way to Spike. So I, that when a move like that happens, my my ears always perk up because I'm like, that seems like something might be in the works, but yeah. um, who knows? I don't know anything, not yet. If you are out there and you know something, please leak it to us. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be fair, please leak it to the Normandy FM DMs. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Even head start. Um, Raina Miller on Twitter asks. We've heard about some beloved characters during Norm DFM, but what are some of your favorite characters in other games? Any particular reasons for those picks? Oh, boy. Um, Mm. I mean, one of the easy ways of doing this is just, what do I have actual physical memorabilia of in my 
okay. apartment. Um, so just looking over, um, Lucina from Fire Emblem Awakening is definitely one of those characters. Uh, I love Fire Emblem Awakening. Until Three Houses came out, it was easily my favorite Fire Emblem. Now that's kind of tied with Three Houses maybe getting the edge. Um, but I love, love, love Lucina's character because uh, I just, the idea of her being this freedom fighter that like went back in, yeah, I guess went back in time. I always get messed up with the, the way the timeline works in that. And then later on in Fates where it just gets all kinds of crazy. But um, she's a really cool character. I love the way that she shows up as like Marth and then unveils herself as Lucina and, and becomes this like really interesting character in the way that she interacts with Krom and with the main character and all that. Um, I, I like her a lot. I, I also like... It's hard to pick a single character from Nier Automata because I think all three protagonists in that game are very memorable. Mm. Um, but I would also say that Pascal from Nier Automata is like mm. pretty up there. The uh, robot who kind of represents the past... Like... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Not pacifist. Pacifist robots. The ones that are not trying to like fight Yorha and the androids. Um, Pascal is a fascinating character that I think is just worth all kinds of study and dissection and like discussion. Um, and then I, don't know, I like Red from Transistor is another one that pops out. Um, I like Transistor a lot. Uh, it's that those characters are very good. I also like. Um, oh god, you're gonna kill me because I can't remember her name all of a sudden. Uh, the detective girl from the first Danganronpa. Kyoko Kirigiri. Yeah, Kirigiri. Um, she's she's great. She was probably my favorite character in Danganronpa one. Uh, Would you have and... something of her? What's up? Do you have like no no, no I no I don't I don't have like oh, I, that's, I you were that stuff is that's a that's impossible to find stuff like that and b like once. I feel like there's there's a level of amount of anime figurines you're allowed to have before it like goes from like oh I like games to oh this is getting a little strange so <laughs> I'm trying to not pass the event horizon there <laughs> um, and then I have other characters that I like a lot but those are more because I like playing as those characters you know like I have my fighting game mains like yeah. uh, like Captain yeah. Falcon and Bowser and Milia Rage from Guilty Gear and Phantom Lancer from Dota and stuff like that. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I think in terms of like the way a character is written that is not from a Bioware game, like those are some of my standouts. Oh, and and uh, Neku from The World Ends with You. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm gonna. Because oh, we've... and Makoto from Persona Five. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I had, um, I just slide that one in at the end. <laughs> so, to kind of mask this character's identity, because we just fucking said that we, in a, in a perfect world, we will do Danganronpa Romp on the show one point, and I would I'm like to say, not spoil that I for mean, everyone. You don't have to spoil it, but you can just say it. Like. Oh, well, I was going to say, I will just call the Monokuma of Danganronpa. Um, mm-hmm. That character in Cap. Like, Oh, that's a weird thing about I guess like the very beginning of that series is there were characters that existed as more of like force of nature type characters as opposed to mm-hmm. necessarily characters with arcs and motivations that were ever made abundantly clear but as Monok- Monokuma's role got expanded upon throughout specifically Danganronpa 1 through 3 like you know the actual quote unquote canon story of that series um, that character encapsulated like depression for me in a way that I don't 
think or want anything to ever replicate for me ever again. It's like, especially because like like we were playing like Daniel Rampa came to the states around the time I was just like switching careers and wondering if I was ever going to make it in an industry that is really fucking hard to get into, and maybe I was attaching things to my career trajectory that were maybe not healthy, and so like this character that laps up despair and like that the like an existence without hope was this weird thing that like mm-hmm. and not necessarily just like I identify like not like I identify with them specifically but um more like the idea of fighting that was what has resonated with me with that series for so long so like I do have a tattoo that's like a quote of theirs that you know I got on like with all of that in mind um also, you know, and I guess less depressing ones, um, I love Yuna from Final Fantasy X. Like, she is, oh yeah, yeah, like, the quintessential JRPG protagonist in my life, because what I love about Final Fantasy X and her specifically is, like, that sort of getting to that point in your life where you're willing to question things and, in her case, literally tear all these things that she's ever been told down and just kind of, like, live on her own terms. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think makes Final Fantasy X too as divisive as that game might be, like, what that game makes that game very special to me is just like, watching somebody live out her life in a way that is not dictated by anybody else. Um, and then there... I, then I, the, hmm? I, I was just going to chime in to say that Riku is probably one of my favorite characters. Like, Riku no. and Orin are probably, like, my favorite characters from FF10, but the reason I like Riku is pretty similar, that I see her as, like, a character that sees like alongside lucina like these characters that see something that is set in the world and decide that they're going to like fight against all hope to try and change it um and like you know consequences be damned they're going to change this mm-hmm. um so yeah yeah um a couple of those would be and it, like i just got this tattoo so it's like staring me in the face i really like i i have my the my favorite uh persona characters in each game but like I've really taken to Reiji Sakamoto over the years just because, like, there it that mm-hmm. character that so fucking badly just wants to help people, and I don't think this the series like Persona Five, like the sub series of Persona Five, does right by him a lot. But seeing that character that goes through like just the absolute worst fucking adolescence that that game can concoct, and still be this really optimistic, hopeful person that wants to be there for the people in his life. And, you know, just, like, fight for principles that um, a lot of that game pushes against. And, like, just, you know, that's... We could have a whole other podcast series on Persona 5. But, um... Yeah, we could. We could. We could do that. NormDFM.com... Or Patreon.com slash NormDFM. Get us to that tier. Um, I'm I'm not in my room where all my shit is to look at, so I'm sure I'm going to forget something, somebody important. Um, but my last, like, couple would be, like, Joel and Ellie from The Last of Us, and I... The, they they have both taken on like completely different meaning for me in the past like couple months, um, and then like you said you've also got like the characters are, like your kind of like, your mains of mm-hmm. things that like really like I have a bunch of Soldier seventy six shit from Overwatch, um, Ryu from Street Fighter, uh, Green Arrow from Injustice expands beyond that, but that he's not necessarily a game character to me. He just happens to be a character that I played in one of the games that I spent most like the most individual time in uh, with Injustice two. Uh, I think that would probably about cover it for, like, the really big, important characters in my life that aren't Bioware. Because we, we, we got whole seasons of that, so I don't need to retry that. Yeah, yeah. God, now I'm just thinking about... Every time I think about Makoto's 
Persona Awakening scene, I'm just like, damn, is there yeah, a better yeah. video game character? I, I, that is easily <laughs> my favorite scene in that game. Like, mm. she's just like, fuck this, I'm done being this, like, my life laid out before me, like, be quiet and do as you're told person, I'm gonna summon a motorcycle that's fueled by my soul and run your life over her. <laughs> God, I love Makoshi. I wish it would be. I wish it was an easier ask for me to ask you to play Royal, just because like, if we if we get to mm, the tier that's... where people can vote it and they vote for it, uh, I will play Royal. Because um, like if some... Royal comes to Switch, I will also play Royal. Uh, that's that's my ultimatum. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's and that's fair because that game is really fucking long. But there's just like some stuff like in the actual like Royal uh, added semester that is. Really interesting to see I, those characters take that next step and that they do in that game. But. I think I know what you're talking about, and that stuff definitely intrigued me when I read about it. Um, yeah. I also controversially like uh, Goro Akechi. So. I... Oh, and, and Majima Goro from Yakuza. But mm. uh, Goro Akechi is one of my controversial... I like that character. I really came around him on Royal. Like, that, that character, I think, in particular, as well as, like, the the new villain of that game. I think the two of them are the start of that fucking game. And yeah. Man, now I'm just thinking about doing a Royal season. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see. The wedge of dust one. That's I I hope I did not get that name wrong. Uh, Has a couple rapid fire questions for us from Twitter. Um, what did you think of Thane in ME2 and 3? Uh, I love Thane. Thane's great. I put dope. Thane in my top six Bioware characters. That's, mm, yeah, that's, that's right about where I feel comfortable throwing him. Even top five, I feel like maybe there's somebody that could edge him out, but top six feels right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Who's your favorite NPC slash non-advisor in Inquisition and why? Uh, I'm going to say that as far as I've played right now, uh, Leliana is sticking out to me in a way that she did not the first time around. I remember being very that. cool. Uh, yeah, no, they said um, your favorite and en- oh, non-advisor in Inquisition. Oh, dang it. Well, Leliana. That's where it gets tough for me because I'm not. Um, mm. I do so far um, like what I've seen of the villain, like Corypheus's right hand person when you choose the Templar side. I am suddenly blanking on her name again because I've had Calpurnia. to remember like a million. Yeah, Calpurnia. Uh, she, I think, makes for a very interesting villain where I think that Samson did not. And so I'm enjoying seeing those scenes. Hmm. I, don't think I've, I don't think I've got one yet. And maybe I'll have one and be able to be able to read Scout Harding, this. man. Scout Harding. <laughs> I, she's Scout, never... Scout Harding's perfect. <laughs> she's Harding's never had an impact on me. And I um, know that's, like, heresy, but, like, she just, I don't know what I'm missing, but she has never had any impact on me whatsoever. I like that she's always just out there. She's doing her job. You know, she's doing some, you can have some really funny jokes with her, too, where you're just kind of like, you know, what are you up to? Like, what is scouting me? Like, she's, she's a fun character. I, like, I think Dragon Age one of the things that Dragon Age struggles with is trying to keep things lighthearted because it tends to get like super grim dark all the time. Mm. And I, and when it tries comedy, I feel like it fails. Uh, and you have, it has to like really build itself. Like we talked about comedy in terms of like Citadel and Bioware and stuff like, God, I'd still love grunts like mm-hmm. recollection of his night. <laughs> uh, 
And I think Inquisition reflects some of that, that they finally got a little bit more comfortable with comedy writing and just kind of like quippy writing and yeah. stuff. And like I think of the Iron Bull scene where all the advisors are walking in one by one. Um, God, what a great scene. I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, what do you think of Blackwall? We will talk about that in the Blackwall episode of Normandy FM Dragon Age Inquisition Edition. Uh, so I won't answer that here. Are either of you playing a female character? Uh, yeah, so I've been playing a female character in now every single game that we've played so far. So my current uh, playthrough in Inquisition is a female elf rogue, which has been very fun to play. Uh, seeing that game through both uh, different gendered characters' eyes and through a different race, because I was a human mage the first time I played it through, has a human male mage. Uh, it's like night and day and i actually think it rewards me a little bit more um Mm. just for me personally what i want out of this series i think it's that is definitely more of what i was looking for to the point that when i play the new dragon age whenever it comes out i will probably if they give me the option go for something like that versus my more standard like when i first played through the the dragon age series and i went for like human warrior human rogue human mage and all like dudes and all very like self-inserty and stuff like that whereas here um i'm in, i'm enjoying the role-playing i'm enjoying like seeing what a character that is not kind of i i don't want to say bog standard but i guess like what i would be used to seeing mm. in the universe um seeing another side of the universe especially when it's stuff like the elven conflict is is so interesting so uh yeah and ken always plays his characters ken's got yeah. his characters uh, who is your favorite romance in the DA and ME series as a whole? Uh, if we're doing them overall, I think both you and I have pretty straightforward answers to this. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd actually, I'd actually say that if we're talking like purely about the romance, uh, uh, Liara's good, but I actually really like Tolly's and Garrus's, mm-hmm. um, and then I also like Solus's. I yeah, think that was Solus's like overall is just really incredible when right. you consider Trespasser. That's my that's sort of my thinking because like if I were to if I were to not do or not say one's been mine over these like so that means disqualifying Caden, right. Dorian, Gil, Fenris. Um, yeah, if we're doing probably, personal favorites, it's gonna be Cassandra, but yeah, and it'll be Caden for me on that front. Um, if it's not one of mine, I my like hands down it's Solus, and that's like. We're about to get an Inquisition, so I won't go into yeah, we won't, we specific. Won't spoil it. But I feel like that's one of the better sort of like tragic, angsty romances that has aged better as like I've gotten older, as opposed to like the Fenris one that I talked about last in the Dragon Age two season. So yeah, like personally, Caden, just like objectively, Solus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if yeah, if we're trying to pick out ones, especially like ones that i think reflect you can kind of see like what the developers were doing and like just the forethought to do all that and then like write in and like make it feel so rewarding in the payoff too like damn i can't wait to talk about trespasser oh i'm over here and i'm torn ken because pretty soon i gotta make a choice between a couple different romance options and it's gonna it's gonna be terrible it's gonna hurt <laughs> gotta go with my heart this time 
I didn't go with my heart in Dragon Age 2, and I regretted it. Um, let's see. Bah, 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 bah. Uh, Ken, what was it like for you growing up in the South as much or as little detail as you like? Hey, Ken wasn't the only one that grew up in the South. My ass grew up in Texas. <laughs> well, how was that, Eric? Yeah. I don't know. For, for, Ken, did you ever ride a horse? Uh, once. Okay. I, I rode horses a lot when I was working at summer camps and stuff. And whenever <laughs> people are like, oh, you're from Texas. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, do you ride horses everywhere? And I'm like, no, but I have definitely like driven by a drive through where a couple like ranch hands were going through the Dairy Queen drive through to get an ice cream cone. Like that jesus christ yeah i don't even like but that was not where i live live because i live uh like in austin which is like a uh, you know a city hub and all that but yeah when i would like go out to more rural areas and do like summer camps and stuff like that it it was not totally uncommon to see something like that uh to answer the question uh it's not been great uh i am at least luckily lucky enough to live in a town where people talk shit behind your back but don't say anything to your face and don't like that's not like hate crimes around here or anything like yeah and yeah i also am lucky enough that like my family is very well known around these parts so i guess when people talk to me they don't really get into politics they talk about how much my dad like how much they knew my dad or know my mom and um but Really, the issue is that, like a lot of people leave this town, and that is something I was like on the cusp of doing before the fucking coronavirus happened. But it was a matter of like finishing school and like wanting to be in a financially stable place to do that. Um, so, long story short, not great. But I am in a position in my life where I won't have to deal with it much longer. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I feel like that's the small town experience for a lot of people, right? Is that yeah. like you get to a point where it's just like you gotta leave or else you you know you become kind of part of the roots there i mean i'm feeling the same thing and i i live near a giant city so um i don't know the south is interesting like i don't know like like ken i think we're both pretty straightforward in saying that we don't stuff like we don't like stuff like you know all the confederate flag bullshit and all that that i mean i saw i would see confederate flags at Mm -hmm. football games and stuff like that and even when I was younger, like, I'm talking like 10 years old, I thought it was horse shit. <laughs> so, um, you know, there are aspects of the South that are definitely, like, well-known in that regard. And you always have to, like, preface whenever you talk about it that way. But also, like, growing up in the South, I felt like there was an emphasis on community that I've always appreciated. And mm. even if it was kind of like, and maybe this is just for me in Texas, but, like, and, and this also has to do with my parents, upbringing which you know i'm very grateful that my parents i think raised me to be a good person (laughs) um but like you know being chivalrous and being kind and trying to be compassionate and caring for others you know like somebody somebody's family member gets really ill or something so we go over to their house and and like cook for them and you know help them keep Mm. the place clean and keep them company and stuff like that like i remember uh, without going into details, because obviously we don't want to get like too personal on a podcast or anything. But when I was younger, I had a close friends like we we had a family that was a close family to our family, and our families would hang out together a lot. And uh, there was a really bad accident where uh, one of the family members who was pretty close to me in age uh, was in the hospital for like a really long time, and 
uh, throughout that time, we would just go over there and, you know, we cook for them and we'd help them clean the house and we'd talk to them. And I, I think that you might just say that's like, oh, that's just, you know, human compassion. But I feel like even when we had stuff in our family, people that we knew from church and stuff like that would always come over and bring us things. So, like, there is an element of Southern hospitality that I do think is true that I've tried mm. to carry forward in my life. Um, and also the food down here is fucking the best, man. It's so good. Mm. I feel genuinely sorry for anyone who thinks that they live in a place that has better food than Texas, man. Like, <laughs> oh my God, I can get mm. fantastic tacos anytime I want. I When I went to college, there was a stand-up burrito stand that would be open until like four in the morning and their main clientele was drunk kids walking down from from the main street where all the the bars and stuff were because they wanted a freaking burrito before they went stumbling back to their dorms or whatever and that place had amazing burritos let me tell you <laughs> so yeah and um just to kind of like i guess wrap up this and like on the on the i guess the question is like more specifically into i am lucky enough that like i live with a family that was that like rallied around me when i came out and mm, yeah. i am privileged enough to be like you know a a white man that does not have to see the brunt of like the worst shit that happens yes, here in the south absolutely yeah uh there's not exactly a whole lot of like queer culture around here to get involved with but um so like there, there is like an awareness that like it could be a lot worse for me but also like it could be a lot better so that's why I am so like ready to get the fuck out. But yeah, that that was a weird thing growing up, and then like later on realizing like, hey, you know, my school was kind of diverse, but not really diverse, <laughs> and it was even weirder. Like I didn't think about this until much later in life that like a lot of people I knew didn't come out until after high school. Yeah, and it was that sort of thing where yeah. I was it makes you wonder in the back of your mind, like how many of them knew and just didn't come out. And that was like a side of right. the community that I didn't notice. Like, an un- cause yep. yeah, it's and like, I you grow a lot once you get past a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And cause like, I was the only out kid in my graduating class. Like, to, oh, wow. like, yeah. To give you an example of like, and you know, several of them have come out since like even my, my brother did as well. And, um, yeah, it's just like, you <laughs> It's a little different for everybody, and there like degrees of like things that people have to be cognizant of when you're in cultures that are relatively homogenous. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it could have been worse, but it can also be a lot better. So. I do know for a fact that like things have definitely changed, at least in the area where I grew up. That that that's like very different. I still know like teachers and stuff like that in the area who I've talked to in the time since who said that like that stuff is has changed a lot. That people are a little bit more open to share mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So that's been good to hear. But yeah, yeah no, having like our ten year our ten year high school reunion for me was supposed to be this year, and that Ooh. was kind of weird, like doing the whole catch up and all that kind of stuff. So. It's, yeah. It gets you thinking a lot about the, the ye olden days. Um, the Wedge of Dest one ends with a quick thank you. Uh, they say, three was really hard for me to get through the first time I played due to how drastic the change in tone is because of how introspective I am and how attached to the characters I got. Took a toll on me. Y'all helped me get through it again. Hey, we're happy to be here. We're happy to help you out. We're glad you, know, you listen. 
And I know Big Fair, Mass Effect 3 is a very emotionally taxing game, so... Oh, God, yeah, it is. Oof. Yeah. Um, we're going to jump over to our Patreon questions now. Uh, Just Reds on Patreon says, What are some gameplay mechanics from other RPGs you enjoyed that you would like to see in future Bioware games? Mm. Uh, that's, that's a hard one, because I feel like Bioware does a lot of this stuff already, and things that would be added might start to steer it away from being a bioware game yeah like you could maybe mm. say social link. i think i like the way that social links are handled in other games actually i'd kind of like to see them move away from the i mean they have already moved away from the friendship rivalry thing but even like the approval disapproval i go back and forth on whether i like that um i, I like the idea of more like moments like specific moments where that shit happens as opposed to like mm-hmm. it being the sort of like a meter yeah a meter like this economic choice you have to make every time you're making a decision yeah. you know and i i i at least prefer it when they don't block off the relationship by that shit and mm, i don't know like i i feel like bioware games in general are adding they are taking in so much from other rpgs right now that they don't always feel like Bioware games in the way that I want them to be. And that's, you know, yeah. like Inquisition and Andromeda are these huge open world games that I would love for them to have not been. So, when there's honestly, like, you know, the other RPGs that are on the market, are the things that you draw from, are a lot of these open world spectacles, I'm not really sure that there's much that I want them to have. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, something that's maybe more streamlined that might have, like, more interesting sort of plays on systems that because I like you know, we- ooh, I just got one. Oh, I just got a, I got a really specific weird one. Okay, go for it. Uh, Final Fantasy fifteen. Okay. The mechanic where in the open world you can set up camp, and kind of like you get little hangout scenes and you cook with each other and stuff like that. I think Bioware could do a good riff on that. Like I think that that in a Bioware world where instead of having the camps that you have in Inquisition, you like just set up camp and then maybe you get like kind of a short little hangout where everyone's sitting around the fire and you cook something for everybody and it kind of like buffs their stats up. And then maybe, you know, every once in a while you get a dialogue scene or something like that. Like I in in Dragon Age Origins, it kind of always bothered me that the camp that you have is kind of portrayed like that like it's supposed to be that you're just setting up camp on the road and everyone's just kind of hanging out and stuff but uh i think you could do that in the final fantasy 15 style and it would be a lot more interesting and in the same vein you could have some sort of mechanic in say a mass effect that's less roaming around like you could still have free roam with a vehicle but you could also like set it to go on a track or go on a road Mm. and then as it's going you can kind of pan around and your characters will have discussions and stuff like that and i'd like to see something like that because i think it would make a lot of the traversal that i otherwise didn't like in andromeda a lot more bearable because like one of the things i didn't like is i you know i'd be trying to listen to some sort of dialogue between companions in Andromeda as I'm trying to like Skyrim my dumbass over a mountain <laughs> or something like that or there's like a firefight happening outside that just like cancels the conversation or whatever and I think if they could find ways like what Final Fantasy 15 did to kind of smooth and streamline that yeah. and then also provide like natural ways for you to just be like hey I want to set up camp and cook with my friends and stuff like that 
I think that's one thing that 15 did really well that I don't think it gets enough credit. Look, I, 15 does not get enough credit for the things it did well. So, Because <laughs> mm. it had to do other things bad. <laughs> mm. I don't really know that I got an answer for this one. I I would like to, to see Bioware games in the future like have more parts stripped off than things added at this point. I'm, I feel like I need a, I'm more of like a return to basics before I can assess what should be added on at this point. I do have another answer to this, but we'll get to it in a upcoming question. So we'll move on to more questions. Um, as an avid A Song of Ice and Fire reader, uh, fan and rereader, I feel like I need to ask y'all if you knew that there was a Game of Thrones RPG released in 2012. Have y'all played it? Um, I have heard of it. I am aware of it. I've never played it. Uh, me personally, I was a watcher of Game of Thrones, uh, like many 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 other people um i did not like where that story ended up going even if i do think that some of the things it ultimately did like the turn with daenerys and stuff like that were kind of interesting i don't think it pulled them off well at all and ended up doing a complete disservice to what that story could have been but man for those first like four seasons that show was real good um but other than that um the game of thrones one hasn't really ever interested me just because i don't have a passion for that universe i have a passion for those characters and that was really driven home for me when i played the game of thrones telltale game Mm. and i was just playing it and that game is like i love so much of what telltale did um like I would honestly say like some of my favorite video game narratives were written by Telltale and not The Walking Dead, but stuff like Tales from the Borderlands. Hey, and yeah. Telltale's Batman is actually my favorite yep. portrayal of Batman. Like just straight up. It is extremely good. Also has like until that Harley Quinn animated series and Birds of Prey came out, like that was my favorite version of Harley Quinn and could still mm. easily like contend with those as well. And I think it's the most interesting take on the Joker that anyone's done since like Heath Ledger so um honestly uh yeah when I played that Telltale Game of Thrones game that game is literally just like hey remember this character from the show you get to hang out and talk with them for a bit oh they might be in danger what if you do something that could get them killed and I'm sitting there I'm like they're not gonna fucking die because they're in the (laughs) the show um so it's yeah uh, I did not enjoy that and that kind of soured the idea of not just like game of thrones games but also just like i think that high fantasy especially has a trouble like getting its stuff adapted to games when it's too tangential to the source material i think of how many bad lord of the rings games there were like there was a lord of the rings rpg that was really not that good uh, and it took until like Shadow of Mordor for them to really figure out that like, hey, this is how we could do a good version of a Lord of the Rings game. And even then, there's still plenty of bad Lord of the Rings games. Um, so it's <sighs> high fantasy is a really tricky thing, and I think it falls over so many pitfalls all the time. And we only really ever talk about the really good ones, like Dragon Age or The Witcher. But there's so many pitfalls, and I think Game of Thrones is more pitfalls than successes i'm sorry if you if you like a song of ice and fire i'm not trying to dump on song of ice and fire like i said i really like those first seasons a lot i thought it was really going somewhere interesting i would watch like it was an event every sunday night and then it obviously like petered off 
Ken, I don't think you're a Game of Thrones fan, though. <laughs> no, I mean, I played the Telltale game, and I largely... Did you actually what... finish huh? the Telltale game? Like, did you play it. all of it? Oh, I was reviewing it for the, that site. For, for a site, yeah. Yeah, and um, I didn't love it at first. I kind of came around to it by the time it was over, but then Telltale imploded, and I don't think that game's ever going to be finished, and that's fine by me. Um... But yeah, generally I'm not a Game of Thrones fan. I, I did watch the first like two seasons. The last thing I remember was Jamie Lannister's hand being cut off. That was the last thing I remember seeing. Oh um, yeah, that was one of like the big that that was a that was probably around the time where I remember Jamie's arc in that being like really good because he finally got like character development and stuff. Yeah. But But yeah. yeah, other than that I'm just kind of I'm ambivalent to Game of Thrones. Yeah. I think it's it's around the time that they start doing the whole thing where Daenerys is like, oh, she's run away with the dragon and she's doing all these different things and now Tyrion's over there. Once Tyrion leaves, uh, like, is it West Westeros? It's it's not the world world, but Westeros is like the the like continent that they're on, right? I think I might be wrong about that. But but when Tyrion runs away after all that, uh, that was kind of where I checked out. Um, cause, cause I like that character a lot. And the second he's in a non politics and scheming place, I just, whatever. Right. Um, one last question from Jess Reds. Would you like Bioware to do post story missions released monthly like Ubisoft with Assassin's Creed Aussie? This is actually the other thing that I would like to see Bioware attempt. That being said, that being said, they'd have to find a way to make it feel natural to, I think codify it better than what ubisoft did because i think there's i went back to odyssey recently because you know valhalla hype was was building up and i was like oh i never played those dlcs i should play those dlcs and i found all these different missions that have been added in there over time but they were never really like publicized or talked about and they are actually pretty interesting but mm. I'd like to see them fleshed out a little bit more in a bio. Like, cause right. there's well, there, the one I played when I went back was it, it's actually like you say goodbye to a person that has been with you on your travels. Like you basically go and settle his affairs and he's like, I need to stay here and take care of stuff. So I'm like leaving <laughs> you. And that character, like for the entire game has been on your ship and hanging out has been basically like a Garrus slash Varric style character to you. Mm. And once you do that mission, he's just gone and you can go visit him on the Island, but he's gone from your ship. Like that's, and I think that's like, Holy shit. They just tucked that away in like a free post launch update. That was like one of six. And so I think mm. the content glut is something that I would not want to see, but I think trespasser proves that Bioware can do something that is large and significant post game. Well, yeah, was... So I would still like to see them try it, but with a little bit more planning and preparation, let's say. That was my question because like, I didn't play uh, Assassin's Creed. So are these like monthly missions? Are they like on the scale of like something along the lines of like Leviathan or Omega? Like no. They are so, not that. They're right, more so, on the scale of like. I mean, it, it would the easiest way would be if you could play them, but they are like they're on their own, like areas with their own islands and stuff like that, and their own cities and their own characters and their own arcs, and even like, I don't think there were any cutscene cutscenes, but I think mm-hmm. there were a lot of like 
you know talking back and forth dialogues and stuff like that um and and voice acting and um pretty in-depth like imagine if leviathan ended right before that last encounter with with the you know the leviathan um but you still had like all that stuff where you're kind of going around the lab and piecing stuff together and you were going to different places and you were talking to different people like imagine that was like the level of production it was at even the the part where you're in the mech and doing all that stuff like imagine it was like that level of production where you don't have like the big grand cut scenes with all the stuff that pans around and stuff but you've got all those other pieces that's kind of the scale that these were at mm, then i guess in based on your description here i would prefer that they had like the maybe like three or four month gap between their updates so they can have something that's like really hefty and substantial like they did like mass effect 3 on uh, inquisition um mm-hmm. as opposed to something that's like kind of like almost like episodic things it sounds like sort of like episodic additions um the the weird thing about odyssey is that and i don't know if this is 100 percent true but i want to say this is like close to the truth is that i think around the same time or maybe like as these were coming out was when they put out their like story creator or whatever or i know that like their story creator came out post-launch where people could kind of make their own quests and obviously those did not have voice acting and all that but i think those missions also served as a way for them to be like hey look what is potentially possible with this system i know that a lot of people have made quests and stories and stuff like that in the time since with those tools um so they did serve as kind of a way to like kind of spur imagination a little bit but they did have like they were related to characters that were in the main quests like your sibling and your uh like different people like historical figures that you met and stuff like that um and if if you told me that they were supposed to be in the main game you could have fooled me so Mm. um but yeah no bioware there's like a level of production that i think bioware tends to go for yeah and wants to have and so as much as like post-launch episodic rollout would be interesting i'd almost rather see is like what if what if they cut some of the early stuff in like a trespasser or a citadel what if citadel the way that citadel released was that you did like a couple missions at a time and they came out like once a month and then like Mm -hmm. you know so the last one was the party and then the second last one was the whole like um ship and all that and then the first one was like the meeting at the bar and all that kind of stuff so they did it they same production level but they broke it up a little bit i could almost see them doing that but But i think um, i would just rather them just put it all at once yeah and then like they wouldn't have that level of kind of that hub where you can do all the different stuff with all your different companions and all that yeah i don't know it's it's interesting i just want to make sure that would be like very bioware-y i wouldn't want it to feel too much like odyssey thank you so much just reds for the questions uh neil weber what do you think about the thesis that dragon age has some of the best depiction of history in games i will need a source on that um that that is the lore is presented as fallible biased and from a number of different viewpoints do you think it helps the game's ability to tell their stories okay so i think some of this is coming from like the events that will transpire in inquisition which is like i think that more comes from the effect of what a lot of stories have done especially when they have that sort of long-running history is like 
oh, there's all these folklore and legends that have mm. sprung up around a thing, but this is like really the way the world is. I mean, we were just talking about Final Fantasy X, and that's a pretty notable example of like, oh, there was an entire church that built up and said that like this is the reason why sin is attacking and stuff like that. And we gradually learned that it's doing it for a very different reason, and this is what how the way the world is actually working and all that kind of stuff. So, um. I mean, I d- that is one of the reasons why I like Dragon Age a lot, is that um, it has so much lore, and especially in Inquisition, it starts to really, like, push on it and press on it and kind of, you know, it it has, I think, again, if we want to talk about high fantasy, like, high fantasy tends to have these, like, very deep lores that lend themselves well to wikis, but they're just kind of there so that you can have, like, factoids, like, I know what the Silmarillion is and stuff like that. So I'm just bagging on Lord of the Rings tonight. Um, but I don't think that provides for interesting storytelling unless you use it and unless you turn it into something. And I think one of the reasons I like Inquisition a lot as I'm now playing through it again is that it's starting to make use of how much lore it has to try and tell an interesting story with it and maybe like contort some of the ways that it previously posed things to you. Stuff like Andraste, stuff like the you know what is a god what what are gods in this world and what is the fade and what is the golden city and stuff like that you know you've, you've kind of had these pre-established notions and even seen different interpretations of them between different cultures but now it starts to really interrogate them and delve into them and i think that is to the game's benefit and something that i hope they keep doing in the next dragon age i think at least on like I don't know if I can say whether like the concept of like history is something that I can say the Dragon Age does well or not, and I think I don't know how holistic of a view of that we can have until the series is I guess done, whatever that is. Um, I do think it does, at least in terms of like the different viewpoints when you have characters that you can create that come from different backgrounds, and you see the way that the things you're told from one perspective might not be the case if you play it from a different perspective. I think on that front, like, that it can show the way that, uh, the way that these things are presented is very much based on the perspective of however you start the game is really interesting, but, um, I don't know if that's history per se, but it at least is showing that every side of every culture in this universe has different views that they have been taught that they might learn, depending on whatever scenario and which character you're playing as they might learn is not true and then can react accordingly and be sort of like ushers of change um that's kind of where i sit on that Mm. yeah i don't know it's interesting thinking about dragon age especially compared to like you know mass effect by you know which i don't think doesn't have a lot of history when you actually think about it like we kind of get some idea of what history is in that universe but i feel like we don't get as much of a view into it as we do in dragon age um i don't know uh on that note thank you neil for the for the question uh zach mickle uh on patreon asks what are some things that y'all are hoping bioware puts in dragon age 4 story-wise uh and that is something that i hope they expand on um i i want to see them kind of the the beats that trespasser ends on to kind of evolve and, and change over time uh and then also like and ken you're gonna be able to speak more to this but obviously since the way that trespasser ends kind of implies that Tevinter is going to play a major role 
in the coming Dragon Age game, I really want to learn more about Tevinter. I feel mm. like it's an area of the map that has not been filled in yet very well. You've always kind of heard about it, but rarely ever got a chance to like experience what it is. And I want to see that game dive into that because I think Tevinter has been one of the like it's it's something that just sounds like a thing and i want to know what it looks like if that makes sense we you know we've we've heard tell of it but we haven't lived in it yet it needs to start being an enigma it needs to be like something that is real um i just want trespassers ending to actually be a setup for dragon age 4 and if the game looks like anything else i don't give a fuck about it (laughs) oh man Ah, and there's nothing think? that Bioware can say. I mean, I mean, but they, they've mind. already they've already pretty much said that that's going to happen, right? Because their teaser came out and it had the wolf in it and everything. Like that's you, you don't put that out there. And the, I mean, even if you look but at that, the the images they showed during the um, EA play that they did, one of them was of like that tree that has significance to Elven culture and all that. Like I feel like elven stuff in particular is going to be a major factor in this coming game but that i mean that just that implies who the villain is it doesn't imply who the protagonist is so oh yeah okay i see what you're saying i also want to see more about the alluvians because i feel like those are kind of Chekhov's guns that have been sitting around i know that one of them comes into play in inquisition i'm excited to talk about that but i want to see more development there because i feel like they just keep bringing up the alluvian as you know mysterious artifacts of power and all that kind of stuff and i want like i i want to see some of the elven payoff here like i feel like elven like old elven stuff is always brought up with this like uh tone and i want to see it actually come to fruition much Mm -hmm. like deventer uh thank you so much zach for the questions dan little reaches out are these through i'm guessing email yeah this is where we're on emails these were emails okay um dan little emails us and says oh he's got a couple uh who is your favorite bioware character of all time maybe top threes is going to be difficult uh i can run down mine pretty quick Uh, i think as much as i love dragon age i'm always going to lean towards Mm. uh garris liara tali um okay. that's just the way the cookie crumbles for me cassandra gets pretty close meryl gets pretty close but uh those three characters especially are just fantastic and i love them and i can't change that uh mine would be Caden, dorian morton oh morton's good morton's up there dang morton is up there what do you prefer out of dragon age and mass effect and why i mean uh uh is that a question for you like do you i mean yeah cause... okay well fine I'll, I'll say mass effect because one i like science fiction when i do new fantasy um two i think dragon age is a complete fucking mess and doesn't know what it's actually about and is just constantly stumbling from one game to the next even though i like them i think if mass effect had stayed a contained trilogy it would be a lot easier for me to answer mass effect but andromeda hmm. just kind of soured me on the idea of what further exploration of that universe could look like and i need to be really sold on what their vision for mass effect looks like going forward um whereas like dragon age as as i know this is one of our points of contention but i feel like that at least is a universe that feels more comfortable with stepping outside and exploring larger swaths of it 
without being beholden to taking place in this very certain space of time around these this very certain set of characters and i think that's why i'm more positive on dragon age moving forward um than i am on mass effect moving forward Wild. with its rumored game um because yeah it's i mean look dragon age i i think for most people you can say this statement you know there are always outliers and as we've talked about dragon age has you know every everyone has their favorite dragon age and that's their favorite dragon age but i think that series has largely gotten better with each successive entry mm-hmm. and done more and like gotten larger and more interesting and and like improved in ways like in broad strokes even if you know you have your reasons for why you like two more than inquisition i feel like broadly you can say that um whereas mass effect like yes it was doing that and then uh, there was contention between two and three and that's the whole nother bag of worms that i'm not going to reopen but um i feel like andromeda was just an overall stumbling block for that series and also like the fact that it was not just the next game in mass effect but it was their attempt to break free of the trilogy and it didn't succeed like it should have um just kind of puts a weird note on it moving forward so yeah i mean if we're just talking about like like the trilogy of mass effect like as i said before is like probably the most important experience you can play on that generation of consoles in my opinion is the most like just fascinating thing that you can play on that 360 ps3 generation um as a series as a franchise but then it steps into the next generation and just oofta so um that's kind of where i'm at with those right now and on that note what do you hope from a mass effect 5 prequel follow-up on andromeda brand new story um uh, that's a great question um well i'll just say mine real quick um if it's not a follow-up to andromeda i don't give a fuck i want a story like i don't care to come back to a universe if the stories that i am being told don't get finished i just want i just want a confident step forward uh that's pretty much what i'm looking for at this point um i want them to kind of come out there and say like hey you know this is this is where we messed up this is where we want to move forward if they're doing that with the andromeda universe then they're doing that with the andromeda universe if they're somehow finding a way to go back to the milky way which fuck me i don't know how they're gonna do that um then that's a thing and i've i've said that i would like you know a c-sex style story and you know i like i like the citadel i like those races i like all that stuff so involving them again i'm not inherently against even if it doesn't take place in the milky way galaxy or even if it takes like i think if you do a prequel you run into a whole lot of problems that you suddenly have to write around so uh, and then you're kind of like trotting out the greatest hits after andromeda which is not a confident step forward and like i said i want a confident step forward i want them to say like this is the new mass effect this is what we are doing we have learned we have upgraded we have gotten better uh this is what we're doing and then i'll have a lot more faith in it um what games would you recommend outside of bioware that have the same story character relationships of bioware games uh, persona is the most persona is probably thing. the closest I think yeah. in terms of like the strength of the relationships and like tonally it could not be more <laughs> separate from a bioware game but uh in terms of like you know, having these characters that this party that you, you know, basically collect throughout the whole game, and then you're learning more about them through like social links, and that expands to characters that are outside of the scope of whatever you're doing in 
uh, your daily life. Um, I don't really know that there's... Well, I'm sure there's more, that, but that's like probably the best example that's coming to my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't say grief all. Um, if you want something that's like... If you want something that on its surface is like Bioware, then Greedfall's going to do it. But, oh boy. Um, that's a tumble down after that. Uh, I mean, it depends on, like, so you say same story and character relationships. And that's kind of the hard thing is, like, what games do character relationships well? And I know this is going to sound weird, but The Witcher, like, Wild Hunt does them very well. Uh, even though there are only two romance options and you're playing as Geralt, you're not playing as like a, you're not role-playing a character that you can create whole cloth. You're kind of role-playing a character that already exists. So you're like playing your version of Geralt. So in that regard, there's choice, but within the bounds of what Geralt could choose. But at the same time, like I find Geralt's story very compelling and, um, honestly one of like the most memorable of this generation especially when you add in the dlc uh, of like blood and wine um so i would say if you really just want like a good story like a good fantasy story then wild hunt is going to give that to you in spades and if you're looking for more relationship stuff like ken mentioned persona i'd also say fire emblem three houses um just like put a note on that though that's persona three through five that yes. have those systems in place. Uh, yes. One and two kind of... They're a little bit different. They're, they're different, and Atlas never acknowledges them, but uh, three and five, three, four, and five are the ones that uh, have that sort of, like, party uh, relationship-building stuff, like, sort of like yeah. games. And then when you start to get into other RPGs, like, again, I love... I've, I've been thinking about Bloodlines so much lately. But, like, Bloodlines is a very different kind of RPG. Like, those those skew more towards, like, European-style RPGs. And then, like, obviously Fallout is has some relationship stuff in it, but not really that much. Same with Skyrim. So, like, you, you don't go to those for, like, in-depth character stories. You know, that's not what you're going to find there. So, um, yeah. Yeah, if you're looking for, like, the social link romance stuff, Persona and Fire Emblem Three Houses are going to be where you look. Um, especially Persona 5. And uh, if you're looking for kind of like the same sort of scope of story and like scale of storytelling that is going on um, and, and with like character driven stuff, then I would go like Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Um, thanks, guys. Love the podcast from one, Bio- from one Bioware fan to another. I've been listening since Mass Effect 1 and long may it continue. Hey, we would love for it to keep continuing. Just head over to patreon.com slash normdfm <laughs> and you can do that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dan. Um, Andrew Parlier, I hope I got that name right, uh, pings in with quite a question here. Uh, so we got some context here. So uh, settle up, folks. Um, context for my question. I picked up Inquisition for the first time earlier this year. It was about 30 hours in when I decided it was my favorite game I'd ever played. Boy. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've ever done that, like decide that I like a game that much before I've finished it. I, I feel like I need to see the credits roll before I can really feel that way about something. But 
around 90 hours in when i finally finished trespasser i had rescinded that opinion and was simply exhausted while the game certainly has its moments it is overwhelming and feels incomplete in many ways it appears bioware just stuffed every possible mechanic under the sun into the game well, at least some of them got fleshed out for every amazing conversation with Cassandra. There was an equally infuriating moment of trying to understand how in God's name the mounts differed. And they were just cosmetic. That's it. Right? I don't think there was, I don't think there's mm. stats differences. I haven't checked, man. It's, just, it's a mount. I don't use mounts. <laughs> I, I hoof it. Um, lit, like figuratively hoof it, not literally hoof it. Cause that would be using a mount. Um, then earlier this week, Jason Schreier recently tweeted a tongue-in-cheek take that set Twitter aflame. Uh, found myself contemplating what video games pro- provide me. I actually don't know which tweet this was because I don't know when it was sent. Uh, I think it was video games are too long. Oh, right, right, right. Video games are too long. Um, my problems with Inquisition, Mass Effect 3, Dragon Age, and frankly every Bioware game I've played is that they try to do too much. Um, many simply lose focus. You kind of alluded to this in your recent discussion of Act 3's lackluster pacing. I actually think that that lackluster pacing was because it didn't do enough, but um, I don't think people love the Bioware games of yore because they have something for everyone. I think people love them because of incredibly specific moments that resonate individually. Mm. individually. It's clear that, like me, you both have many such moments that keep you coming back to Mass Effect and Dragon Age despite their shortcomings. So my question do you think modern video games of the last 15 plus years and Bioware games in particular are too long and or overstuffed? If so uh, how would you approach narrowing the focus of games in the Mass Effect and Dragon Age series? If not, why not? And how do you think that future games should continue to capitalize on the continued ability to increase in complexity and size? Um, So that was a lot. And there's also a PS, but I'm not going to get to that yet. Um, Yeah, there were a lot of questions in there. Um, I would say just to start, like I mentioned before, um, I don't think it's a question of trying to do too much um because i don't think mass effect 3 had that problem necessarily it is it is focused though i think you can do a lot and still have focus like i just talked about the witcher 3 wild hunt and like breath of the wild and stuff like that those games are freaking massive but you can still do those and feel focused you can still do those and feel like you've made a world with intent and intention it's just very very difficult to do so um and so i guess when i think about modern video games, the last 15 plus years too long and overstuffed i mean 15 plus goes back further than i think this this acknowledges like if we go back 15 years i mean shoot 2005 what games were coming out in 2005 that's pre uh, that when jade empire came out that's yeah that was was that jade empire i think so. um close, i mean that's like them. that's like pre uh I, I always use like call of duty modern warfare like the first modern it was warfare. free mass effect like, for like the, to keep it relevant to the show like the yes. free mass yeah. effect one yeah um yeah that's back back when bioware was making non-mass effect games yeah. um so i wouldn't say that even like mass effect one or mass effect two is overstuffed or like narrowing focus i think I think when we think about complexity and size of games, I don't want smaller worlds. Like I don't, I don't think that's my issue. And I think what Ken and I have already talked. I won't speak for Ken, but for me personally, um, my issue is when games turn into a thing that does not feel, I guess, like an adventure. 
like when when they're doing so much that is distracting you from the thing you are doing Mm -hmm. and that's why i like the thing like the ghost of tsushima wind gust and all that because now i'm not opening a map and setting a way well i mean i have to set a waypoint initially but or i can just like hit a button and it'll be like you know that's the thing i want to do but then from then on i'm not like constantly going like okay look at my mini map or you know stare at my mini map or uh you know look back at the map and make sure my arrow is pointed in the right direction and all that so i can keep going in a straight line like it opens me up to pay more attention to what that world is and what's going on around me in it and i've found myself like the only reason i'd want to pick that game back up right now is i don't i don't enjoy the combat i don't enjoy the story or anything but that world is beautiful and just being in that world is a good time so um i want to see more things do that because right now i think we have a lot of worlds that seem unnecessarily empty for desire of scale and that's kind of where i come from on that yeah and i think that's about where i land too because so i'm of a few minds here one so 90 hours into inquisition is a lot and i think my uh not canon but like my first playthrough where i did fucking like i can had like a completionist run of that game played all the dlc as well um that was like i think my playtime was about 90 hours but I know we talked about, like, in Breath of the Wild, where you talk about, like, oh, finding your own fun. But for me, something in, like, Inquisition was, like, I honed in on what I cared about and didn't feel, like, this obligation to engage in parts of the game that I didn't. Um, so that means, like, my second playthrough that I did, you know, a couple years back of Inquisition, my playtime was significantly lower because I mainly, like, critical pathed it and, like, did the, uh, and it, like, the companion stuff as well. Like, you know, the parts that mattered to me, I didn't get so involved in all these weird little fetch quests that Bioware thought would be interesting to put around, and, like, the scale of that world didn't overwhelm me because I wasn't focused on trying to live in every inch of that space, and it was more, Mm. you know, focused... Like, you say, like, we say, like, you know, these games don't stay focused, but I think a lot of the stuff just kind of feels like these very arbitrary things that we can, can engage with if we want, but we don't have to hold my dog. My dog is coughing. In the... Hi, Lily. <laughs> Poe meows into the mic during the show. You hack and cough and scratch yourself. I don't know why you can't make cute noises, too. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? So, yes, these games are very long and they're very overstuffed, but I also have kind of like taken it upon myself to never out, like, never let the game outstay its welcome in my like, field of view. So that's why Inquisition is not this overbearing, awful, open-world slog to me, because I mm. know what I'm there for, and I can, like, I can hone in on it and stick around with it. Um, so, something else that is, like, I've kind of been thinking about this over the past month or so, because Schreier's tweet was about The Last of Us Part Two. Um, right, and, and, and I'll just jump in real quick that they, um, our, our listener, uh, Andrew here, chimes in and says that like that was referencing last of us part two and also real quick they just wanted to thank you ken for your last of us part two review the the two-part review wanted to say that it moved them they wanted to thank them for you on air so that that is said now that was the ps uh but yeah it was it was about the last of us part two and um i've kind of come around on how long that game is it's like for context that game depending on like i've heard anywhere from 20 hours to 
somehow some people got to like 30, and I don't know how they did that, because like, I played through that game three times, like, once for review, once for spoiler cast, and then once just to like, play, and my playtime usually ended up around 23 hours in each time. Um, so I don't... When the conversation of that game in Protector's Length comes up, it usually ends up being brought down to like the number that shows up on the end playtime, whereas I've never heard anybody give me a satisfactory answer as to what they would cut of that game. And uh. that's why I've kind of like, the more I think about the game, I'm like, I don't know what I would cut, so I don't really think the game needs to be shorter. I think it just... You know, maybe... Maybe that has to do with like the structure of that game, and like there is a like twist in the end of that or in the midpoint of that game that makes the game suddenly twice as long as you might have thought it was going to be, and maybe that kind of like exasperates that particular issue and that feeling of like this is long and this is like a very long process. But I think stepping away from it and kind of like being hmm, month and a half removed from it at this point, I'm really happy with the length of that game because I felt like it, the story that it told, really naturally filled up that entire uh runtime so i don't i'm not mm. so like i know a lot of people are like oh i want more six hour games and like you know fair that's what i would like to but i don't think that like attaching like the number stigma of like a game should be this long is really a very productive way for us to talk about like what constitutes worthwhile game length um and you know, maybe that's something that i could write about one day but i feel like that particular thing about the last of us part two in particular, um, maybe gets a bit overblown, and I think with time away from it, it kind of... I think the argument kind of falls flat, in my opinion. I, the weird thing is that The Last of Us Part Two, like, they were out there pretty soon after that in interviews and stuff, saying that they cut parts of that game before no. it... Like, like that. the sections were supposed to be a lot longer in terms of how much time you spent there. So, it's all about focus. It's like, is it... Is the extra content you're adding, like doing something meaningful and i think the just like end for me is like the version of this i think is bad hi poe you snuck up on me um the version of this i think is bad is in it drabada when you're rec when you're collecting the the memories from mm. your father and all that i thought that was like a bad example of doing that because you're tying this like story content into something that doesn't feel like it naturally fits because like i think the idea is that oh well as you discover more we will unlock pieces of memories that i have tied into here and theoretically i think that works if like you get that as you're doing outposts or maybe as you're just like naturally progressing progressing mm -hmm. in the story but instead it's like no once you travel to this arbitrary point that's just yep. kind of out in the middle of nowhere with nothing else around it and it's just got like the there, there's something that you notice when you start playing a lot of these open world games back to back is that there's like a set circumference of area around an objective where there will be nothing but the thing that you do in that area and they very intentionally seem to not overlap and not sit too close to each other um, they all kind of have their own little discrete space on the map and I think that's what starts to bother me is when I notice that and I'm like mm oh, so this thing is out here in the middle of nowhere because it was the place where you could put it where I'd have to drive out here to specifically do this thing. So it right. felt like more quest-like and less, you know, I'm going back to the content mill-like. Right. Um, yeah, I wasn't wild about that. I'm yeah. glad I did it because the scene was good, but I wasn't wild about the way that was handled. Yeah. Um, Chris Johns. 
in RPGs, Bioware or otherwise, do you ever move around party members for the best interaction with story content, or do you just stick with one squad that becomes your A-team? I mean, I feel like mm. Bioware is the game that only rewards this, in a way. Because, like, when I think about Persona, your whole crew is there all the time, yeah. and so you're really just swapping in and out characters depending on what elemental affinities you need and all that. Uh, Bioware is really the only... Like, Bioware-style RPGs are the only ones that I feel do this, um, this idea of swapping them in out. I guess maybe you can, again, look at things like Fallout or stuff like that where you can have certain companions with you for quests, but Fallout, like, heavily... In one extremely note... Ken, you never played Fallout 3, right? Mm-mm. Um, it's Spoilers for the end of Fallout 3, because I, I just want to get Ken's reaction to this. At the end of the game, you have to do a thing where you go in and like stop this machine that has gone haywire but the area inside is like heavily irradiated so to do the sequence whoever is going to go in there will die from the radiation Mm -hmm. that is in there there's it uh it reminds me of like wasn't that the scene in star trek um where they had to, to go into the the radiation thing star trek um i mean wrath of khan and then whatever the remake called it but they they had to go into their like radiation area and all that that's familiar Um, but in this situation you either choose yourself and then the epilogue is like the brave hero went in there and sacrificed himself or you choose the other character who's really honestly been more the protagonist of the story than you ever have been um and it like literally calls you a coward in the epilogue and everyone remembers he was a coward (laughs) uh here's the thing ken in the fallout universe there are mutants and super mutants and they are immune to radiation because they're already heavily radiated and one of your companions is a super mutant and all that the person has to do is go into that room and punch in a sequence of buttons to like change the thing at this point at the end of the game you can talk to your super mutant buddy if you have him there with you and be like hey why don't you go in there and do this because then nobody has to die his response is no my friend everyone walks their own path in life this is your destiny and your choice to make i will not do yeah dude yeah it's real bad dude it is infuriatingly bad i still can't believe people when they're like oh fallout 3 has got this great game no it's not a good game um (laughs) oh um anyways so beyond stuff like that i feel like bioware is really the only game that does this that being said i tend to stick with one squad most of the time especially in mass effect like i tend to roll garris plus one uh and that plus one is usually whatever character i think is going to fit with whatever mission i'm going to do um and then in dragon age we get a little bit larger party size but i tend to stick to a certain composition which will be yeah. like you know a war because i play rogue um i'll need like a warrior and a mage who can heal and then like that that last spot is kind of a flex spot where depending on how i'm feeling you know maybe i go two warriors maybe i go two mages tends to be what i go because that adds a little bit of extra long range damage and like actual magic that's like highly leveled up and because i didn't have to spend points on healing and all that we'll get into that in inquisition uh but other than that yeah no, it's i i tend to always have one or two people that i always have around and then i'll move mm. some others around for story or just for like combat variety yeah i tend to stick the same handful of whoever 
the one game that I mean I guess I didn't really do it enough in uh, our playthrough for the show Dragon Age 2 was one that I actually was more inclined to move people around and that was because I was trying to like gather up friendship and rivalry throughout the game and um, I think that was more usually that's kind of like the more of a reason for me to mess around with team composition just because I know that like even if I don't want the character to be like kind of a tentpole of my usual party I at least know that like, I would get something out of them being there and that you know like by the time I got well, like if I got like Meryl or Isabella or whoever to 100% friendship or rivalry I kind of would put them away then but there would be like large stretches of the game where I was like deliberately bringing them around so I could raise up those and then unlock things and so I guess one of the situations where that is more rewarded and because a lot of times your party members in uh, RPGs kind of get uh, relegated to like the mechanics of how they operate in um, mm. in things in, like combat but there's not a whole lot of times where there's a story like reward for doing that um, unless it is something that you're like really cognizant of like the approval systems that Dragon Age has yeah I was kind of very specific about this but yeah it's it's always fun to mess around with the team i don't know it's fun to have different people swap in and out share different stories and all that kind of stuff have different conversations that happen mm. um chris john says i think i remember one or both of you mentioning you were music majors in college before getting into the video game industry what was your instrument do you still play it did you carry over any skills as a musician that you use in your current profession um, Ken, you were actually more of a music major. I I think I've told this story. I can't remember if I've told it on here or not. But uh, I originally wanted to go to college for music uh, as a music composition major. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I was actually, like, I knew how to use composition software. And uh, I played the trombone. Uh, I do not play it anymore, uh, though I've had the inkling every now and then in the past. Uh and the compromise I struck with my parents who were very much like, uh, we want you to like think about other things, which I think was ultimately the right choice, was that I would <laughs> I was I tell this this story like laughingly is like they were like, We want you to like explore things that might have better job propositions coming out of them. So An I went into journalism. Market. Yeah, so I went into journalism. <laughs> mm. <laughs> right? Um so uh I mean, yeah, it's all so relative, I, I guess. I went, I went into mass communications, which is like a broader umbrella because that, that includes, I mean, I did it because at the time I knew that I was a good writer and I knew that I'd, I'd done newspaper in high school and stuff like that. So um, with that, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll give this a try. Um, and I did take my freshman year, I took a history of jazz course that was actually probably one of my favorite courses like non-major courses that I took while I was in college. Uh, it was really fascinating, but I think it also kind of affirmed for me that I liked music as a hobby mm-hmm. and less as like a, a profession. Like right. that's kind of the thing is, I mean, we, we both now work in an industry where our hobby is our job. And yep. I think I'm okay with video games being that, but I wouldn't have been okay with music being that because right. music right. is more of a way that I relax and more of mm-hmm. a way that I share things with friends and that I, it's, it's a communal thing for me, but it's also like a private thing for me. I do actually, uh, I also play guitar and I sing. 
Um, I don't do either one publicly very often, but uh, that is still like my hobby and stuff like that that I, I do pretty fairly often. And I also am constantly intrigued by the idea of learning more instruments. Um, I have like a very basic understanding of like piano and stuff like that. Um, and does it carry over to our current profession? Not really. Um, it's more just, I don't want it to. I want it to be a thing that is mine, that is separate from my work. I think as, as I've grown older, I say that being relatively still young, but um, as, as I've maybe grown up, I've realized that it's important to have things that are pieces of you that are not tied to the thing that you do for money. And so mm. I've tried to keep that side of my life fairly removed from anything I do for work because otherwise it will start to feel like work. Um, yeah. I mean, if I wrote about Guitar Hero or whatever, I would definitely comment on the fact that I play actual guitar and all that. And same with like Rock Band or something like that. Like Rock Band's probably half the reason I can play drums decently. Um, mm. So, but yeah, that's, it doesn't really carry over. What about you, Ken? So... I spent, I guess it would have been almost two years as a music major, um, specifically a music, music education major. My my like career path was to like teach chorus in either high school or college. Um, my instrument was, I was a vocal major, um, which I don't really still do in any professional capacity, and I have gotten removed enough from it to realize that having been like professionally trained in vocals meant that it's much easier for me to sing Broadway songs than it is like the shit that I just listen to on a regular day um, mm-hmm. because that is just generally where my voice and style gravitates to um, not that I don't you know, I'm down to sing a show tune any day but and if you get me to sing any, pretty much anything from the Disney films like I'm fucking ready to go but it is like a frustrating thing to realize that you've learned to do something in such a way that makes it difficult to do it any other way um mm-hmm. I also played guitar, which I have not done since I, since before I started journalism, and uh, I ended up buying, like, I bought that uh, Last of Us replica guitar, which should be here in, like, a month, I think, and that's going to be me, like, kind of my attempt to step back into that, because I told myself music would be a hobby that I would do, and, you know, in whatever capacity it was, after I got, you know, well and set in a journalism career, which I am now, so, like, it all kind of coalesced at the right time. Um... I'm gonna see about getting some sort of like finger guards though, because I don't, I don't want to have fucking calluses again. Um, oh, no, dude, I love calluses. No, like I, I pick at mine. Like, I pick at mine all the time. I like when my oh fuck, don't that that's not good. Don't do that. That will hurt you. Um, no, they're fine. I can't even feel the tips of my fingers anymore. It's great. Uh, as I for just a, hold them over an open flame. <laughs> um, as for if there's any carryover, um. This is a very weird and specific thing to bring up how it kind of did. Um, I didn't really, and I didn't really know how to like put it into words until I heard somebody, like I was, uh, in my last year of college, I was editing a, um, a video for my broadcast class. It was like one of the last classes I mm. took in college. And um, there was like a video editing class that was in the same computer lab as me, but I wasn't part of the class. And as I was doing it, the teacher was talking about how um, video editing comes very naturally to musicians because they ha- they're it is very easy for them to think rhythmically and oh a- absolutely yeah that like that was the thing that like, I always kind of like knew in my head and like recognized as I was doing it but I hadn't heard it put into words in that way so 
whether it's editing video or podcasts or even like you know to an extent like understanding how well something reads when it is either spoken aloud or just like mm-hmm. that is something that being a musician helps you with um it's a very like very specific thing that i don't know if it's like i don't know like it's it was more happenstance that happened it was not something that i ever really considered or thought about until again like it was brought to my attention um i also did like composition stuff that was uh specifically like for choirs and stuff and that Mm was kind of how i finished off my senior high school that like I wasn't um I'd come into the chorus program in high school a little bit later than a lot of my friends had who had been there like their whole fucking lives and I came in my junior year and um that was at least something that I was able to do that I mean not like dissing on any of my friends or anything but that was not like a specific skill that they had in terms of like composition but they were like they were infinitely better singers than me but that specific thing was not something that was their strength as much um and there was a point where, like, that, I thought that was me part of my career, but that was, again, like you said, Eric, like, that's not, like, there's not a job market for that, so that was when I shifted over to education. Um, and then ultimately, like, I had been in a very classically trained uh, program at my college, and it just was not what I wanted. It wasn't something that I felt like I wanted to be in for, like, four years. And also, like, music and, like, arts programs in general tend to be dramatic uh, <laughs> catty um, yeah. petty and I still got a lot of that through like osmosis through my brother who uh, he and his now fiance they both were in like the percussion like the band of that college that I was in and um, so like I still like was aware of a lot of these things even when I shifted over because I had left school twice and then mm. came back and finally came back with my because like they had not had a journalism department in my school until there was like a consolidation thing that happened and then finally it was there and so I came back and then finished it um so like I was still aware of that and I was like I think I made the right choice to like not be uh inundated in that sort of environment of both the music that I would have had to have been doing and also the people that I would have been doing it around so I think an important thing to take away from this just like broadly is that it's ridiculous that at 18 years old were asked like what do you want to do for the rest of your life absolutely yeah and like i went to college wanting to do one thing within a semester i decided that was not what i wanted to do mm-hmm. but then even while i was at this the school of mass communications and all that which eventually became the school of electronic media and communications because they rebranded to sound more hip um they i still had absolutely no idea what i wanted to do Mm. Um, I knew that I was getting a degree. I had no idea what that degree could even possibly entail or if it was something I wanted to do. Um, and then I remember there's a very specific moment. Like, I just, life is filled with moments where you can kind of pin... It's not always easy to pinpoint, but every once in a while you have a moment where you can absolutely pinpoint, like, this was a pivotal moment in my mm. life. Um, on a whim because i i was like okay i like sports i like i like going to the football game i wasn't much of a sports guy in high school but once i got to college and i started going to like the the football games of the university and all that i was like okay this is something i'm into i like the atmosphere here i like some of what's going on here so i took a it was like a sports media class and i think the first week we were in there 
Um, some I, I I only knew like two or three people in that class. Uh, some guy, to me at the time, some guy just walked up to the front was like, hey, by the way, uh, we don't have a student-produced sports show, and a lot of other schools in our state do, and that's messed up, mm-hmm. so I'm going to make one. And I don't care that we are literally just making this by ourselves. Uh, you don't have to have any amount of ability to do this. Every single one of us is starting from square one. Who Who is in? And I don't. I was sitting there, and I just had this moment in my head where I was like, look, am I going to ride out the rest of my years in college not knowing what I want to do, or am I going to at least try something so that way... I can say if I end up leaving this major or this college for something else, I can at least say I tried it instead of just right. coasting through it. So I put my hand up and that ended up being the most pivotal thing in my life because I found a love for storytelling and media, like storytelling in the media through that. I learned so many skills I never would have learned otherwise. I met so many people that are still amazing people that were hugely influential in my life. And that is that's just what it is like my life would have been significantly different had i not done that and i the takeaway i always have from that is that you are never too old or never too set in your ways to chase doing what you feel is the thing you want to do so -hmm. when you get that feeling in your gut that says this is something i should do follow it because that's what i've done every every day since is like follow that feeling in my gut because it has not led me wrong since and yeah so yeah Yeah. uh eric why don't you post as many selfies as can (laughs) chris johns asked why do you deprive your twitter followers of your greatness um chris i'm sorry to give you a slightly depressing answer but uh i just don't like sharing certain aspects of my personal life online uh i mean i won't lie to you and say the part of it is not just like a like body positivity thing like i'm not always in a place where i'm super happy with how healthy i am and that kind of stuff especially in fucking quarantine right now (laughs) but um that's not to say i haven't taken selfies and stuff like that but when i do i usually post them to i have like private accounts on places um not like private accounts but like ones that are just friends and family that are just like i i I have a part of my life that is public and a part of my life that is professional and that is out there. And then I have a part of my life that's for me. And at least for right now, for me personally, I keep selfies on that side of it. Now, Poe, I will post pictures of Poe all damn day. But uh, I think I've only ever posted like a handful of selfies on Twitter. Uh, Other than that, I'm not really much of a I've never been much of a selfie guy to begin with. I like taking pictures of other people. I like taking pictures of cool things. I actually I took photography classes in university, and I like I like the art of photography a lot. But uh, that doesn't include me most of the time. <laughs> I like being on the other side of the lens. Um, there is one of my favorite pictures I've ever taken has Ken in it. It's that one from when we were at E3 that one year that I think is still my Facebook profile picture. I had uh, hair in that like, picture. Yeah, it's, I it's you and me and a bunch of you and me and a bunch of people who were staying in that one tiny little house for that E3. Mm. Uh, but we were just walking to the corner store or whatever, and we took a selfie, and it was just like the perfect golden hour and everything, and everyone's smiling and having a good time. And that's that picture always makes me happy. It's, that's a that's a happy picture in my life. So I do take selfies. They're just not always out there. Ken, why do you take so many? <laughs> Sometimes you just. 
in the right light, you're just like feeling you just, yourself, and you just gotta just feeling yourself. Let everyone know. And Chris Jones, we're not giving you our social security numbers. Sorry, you're the one person who asked, but they do say thank you for creating the content you do, comma, just Chris Jones. Thank you so much, just Chris Jones. Uh, Raven's Nest 13 asks a few questions. Uh, they say if you can't answer all of them, I understand. Look, we've been going long enough. Let's just do all of them. First question I have is about your jobs as game reviewers. What makes it worthwhile for you, and why do you enjoy it? <laughs> I couldn't finish that one without laughing. Hmm. Um... I guess so. My job is not game reviewer. Uh, I'm a news editor. Yeah, a news like gamer. For um, like clarity's sake, we are both technically our job titles technically are news writers. News, um, yeah. Uh, but we do still end up in situations where we do review stuff. Like I say that, but in June I reviewed Command and Conquer Remastered and Valorant, and that was just because both of those are very much in my field of expertise, and I don't have much doubt that there will be more games coming out in the next couple months that i will have to cover either because uh they're in my field of expertise and there are things that i should cover or because they are um you know we have we have a small staff at us gamers every once in a while yeah everybody's got pitch in to cover stuff when it gets to like the fall season um that being said maybe if we're answering this is like what makes a review worthwhile um and if we enjoy it I don't always enjoy the review process, to be honest with mm. you. Um, sometimes it feels like work. Sometimes it feels like I'm turning, especially if it's a game that I've been looking forward to, I actually start to dislike that because it turns a thing that I wanted to be like excited for and stuff like that into work, where I then have to mm. like start to assess it on a level that changes the way I consume it in a way. And people have talked about this before, like companies have gotten better about it but um the crunch to finish a review especially on a long Mm -hmm. game can kind of sour feelings on it um pretty quick and it's hard to measure that out when because again this is a game that you are being told you have to play and finish this and write about it so it's the same thing as like whenever you got a book in high school and you got told you had to do a book report on it um, that's going to affect the way that you feel about that book. And maybe you come out of that still really enjoying that book. One of my favorite books I ever read was assigned to me in high school. Um, East of Eden is my favorite novel, and that was assigned to me in high school. But at the same time, um, there there are times where I have wished that, I, I especially if it's a game that I've looked forward to, I can think of a handful where I've looked forward to a game, I've championed us covering that game like pushed and this is not just at uh us gamer but at many sites where i've pushed for us to cover a game and then i play it and it ends up being not good and that mm. is the worst feeling because you have fought for coverage because you know if i'm thinking back to these certain specific cases you played a preview and it was a really good preview game or you've seen screenshots and gifs on twitter and been really excited for it to come out and then once you start playing it you're like oh no this game has faults and you know maybe if you're playing that for recreation you're just like oh you know it is what it is uh but if you're then the one who has to put a score on it and quantify those and then read other people being like oh this game isn't good maybe i'm not going to support it and i'm like oh god that hurts um because i do because you've championed coverage for that in some way so even if a game is bad i can think that it's it shouldn't just not get support it shouldn't just die on the vine like that so 
those are the reasons why I get frustrated with it. But the times when I do enjoy it are when I get to really, I think like Command and Conquer Remastered was one of these areas where I got to just really delve into why this series means so much to people Mm -hmm. and, and like celebrate what a labor of love that thing was. Cause that came out of EA and EA is so remake averse and remaster averse and for them to come out with such like a loving tribute that is so fully featured and so holistic and so like built by community for community and stuff that is just there's nothing else like it like that's that was cool and so to be able to like really talk about that and discuss that and and lead the discussion there is like a little bit of narcissism in that that we get to be the ones that like shape Mm. discussion around it but i mean that's why we got into the business is because we want to be in the discussion so that is what it is um ken what about you um so honestly what we say reviews and that has a very specific connotation but like the majority of the work that I've done in my however many years of doing this, like, has been in criticism and not necessarily numbered mm-hmm. reviews, but just like writing thing, writing about stuff in ways that goes beyond informative and goes more discussion oriented, uh, you know, opinion oriented, um, things things along that lines. And for me, that's kind of like my favorite part of this job. And you know, when when we use the term like games journalism, that often gets used to encompass anything that's like games media where that doesn't really encapsulate specifically what like reviews and opinion pieces and things of that nature are because that is that is criticism that is something completely different and then when people want to when people want to tear it down they call it not journalism i was like thank you for your for letting me know about your comprehension skills um (laughs) but i'm also lucky enough to be at an outlet that really lets me just kind of fucking go at it when Mm -hmm. it comes to that shit um, over at Fanbyte, like, they, I've been there almost a year now and pretty much never really been told no. If, like, I can really argue a point, they're, like, happy to hear it, they're happy to post it on the site. Um, so, but also that part about, like, that, that writing about and talking about video games in that more critical sense is the more entertaining part about playing video games to me now in this point in my life. So, like, when you say, Eric, like, you're like, oh, this becomes work in a way, and like, Honestly, like, again, we are lucky enough to be in a position where our hobby is our job. And right. so that part, even if we found to write something negative, it's, I mean, it, it, it is work. Like, do not ever let anyone tell you otherwise that it is anything other than it is work. work. It is labor. Um, it is still, like, the part of this industry that I enjoy. Like, I enjoy the talking about games after the fact. Like, not just that there's not value in, like, you know, preview discussions and, like, um, interviewing developers and stuff but like i personally have been a person that cares more about what the game says when it's standing on its own and it's in front of me and there's not somebody over my shoulder to tell me oh this is what they were going for like no i'm like what does your thing say when it can only speak for itself um and so in that sense like that's really worthwhile to me because that is why i got into the sensory it's why i care about games in a way that maybe like because there was like like I said, I was a music major at one point, and it, that was, like, in the in-between time of me growing up as a person, like, as a kid that played games, and that was, like, his primary hobby, to becoming an adult that worked in this industry in a professional capacity. Uh, yeah. so, like, 
realizing that I could talk about and, you know, dissect games in a way that was the way that I do now was the reason that I got back into games in the first place. Because I don't know that if I hadn't started to think about them in that way that I would have ever come back to this. Because, like, all I ever really did during that uh, time when I was a music major was I played Bioware games. Like, I played them when they came out, and uh, it all changed when I, like, finally had a PS3, and then... Because uh, th- it was because the uh, the new Sly Cooper was coming out, and I was like, hell yeah, I gotta do that, and I'm an adult <laughs> with money now. I can go buy a PS3 and do that. And then I eventually played Uncharted, and then eventually The Last of Us, which kind of was, like, the thing that made me decide to, like, oh, maybe there's more to this than... I ever really realized. So, you know, it can be stressful, it can be tough, and it, like, especially writing about some of the stuff that I do, it tends to get dragged into, like, shit like Twitter discourse in ways that has been especially tough this past month or so. Um, mm. But ultimately, it's like, I don't, that's like the, at this point in my life, that is the way that I like to engage with video games the most. And, so it is very rewarding to me on that front. Uh-huh. Whether it's still that way eventually, because I know like there it gets to be a point where people kind of like tire of being in that position in the industry, and maybe I'll be that way one day. But right now, I'm very happy with what I'm doing, and I'm very happy to. And it's why I think like Normandy FM exists because like that is a very particular like we do a very particular thing here where we and like that we really couldn't do it in any other format. I think. Um, right. Yeah, where we get to go really in depth into these things, and that's—I don't know what else I would want to be doing right now. But that's where I'm at, and I'm happy with it. I think to to be clear about my statement, like the I was speaking like purely to like review reviews, where you especially like ones where you have to stick a score at the yeah. end and, and like quantify it in a way. Which um, luckily I don't have to do with anybody. Yeah, um, some of like some of my favorite coverage I've done in the past has been a result of like heavy beat coverage which i think is something that you do very well um as well like sticking to a game and talking about the way Mm -hmm. it evolves over time um like the the game that immediately comes to mind for me when i talk about that is like dragon ball fighters yeah when when that came out like that was just a game where i was like i love this game i love everything about this game i want to own the beat on this game and and i like put myself on that track to just do that and i wrote like tons of stories about yeah. well there's this streamer that just hunts gokus and that's what he does and there's like another like amazing player and here's this amazing moment i got to be like one of the writers who was on the forefront of like writing mm-hmm. about the sonic fox goichi rivalry and that's still like oh that's the the height of just everything for me <laughs> <laughs> um and I think in that in that regard, like that's what I find more interesting. And, and granted, like again, that's the sort of stuff that I lean towards naturally. Is I like telling human stories about a game, mm-hmm. and so while that lent itself really naturally to esports, that's also like what I try to do in games as well. Yeah, I wrote a thing about um, the them's fighting herds devs and how they like built up from being a canceled like cease and desisted My Little Pony fighting game to being like a game that was going to be at Evo this year yep. um, and, and stuff like that. So I find, I find like that's doing that sort of coverage tends to be more in my alley. Not that I dislike a review. It's just um, sparingly, sparingly for me is what I prefer. Um, that's, that's, that's fair. Especially because like reviews are some of the, like I've, I can't properly quantify which piece of mine ever got me the most harassment. Like a few come to mind. 
but I know that one of them was a review. Um, and I'm just out here to say that Deus Ex Mankind Divided still sucks. Um, sorry. <laughs> sorry, yeah, y'all. Think, y'all think, saw like, that geez. sign that said Ogs Lives Matter? Do you think that, like, really aged well? That game aged terribly. Oh, my God. Uh, anyways. <laughs> and I think, too, like, the larger games media landscapes credit a lot of people are trying mm-hmm. to get away from the more standard like scored reviews where we have to yeah. like quantify that shit because like fanbite let me write about the last of us in like the context of my father passing away and that was like not something that would have probably flown even when we were starting this maybe like you know mm-hmm. six years ago yeah yeah i know um because i think there's more of like a desire to have these more dis- grander discussions beyond whether something is like a product somebody should buy and, you know, there's, you know, room out there for both sides of that, I think. Um, and, you know, there are sites that lean into that, and that's fine. And if that's the extent at which you want to read about something, that's totally your that's your prerogative. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, like, there's been, like, a drastic change and shift in just, like, like the past six years or so, like, where people want to talk about things in a more meaningful sense and like how they like how far they can penetrate beyond the sort of old games media which was graphics gameplay sound etc um so like in that sense i'm glad that we kind of came into this at the point we did because i mean if we had like say been on this track like right when we entered high school uh we might have been a few years early and Mm. the landscape would have been a bit different and our career trajectories would have been different. We can talk a little bit more about that in a question that's coming up near the end, I think. Fair, yes. Um, this, our second question from Raven's Nest 13 here is, the second one is, what are your top five games outside Bioware games and why? Um, <sighs> to keep that explanation brief, I'm not going to delve too much into why, but I think off the top of my head, I can just name five games I'd be comfortable with saying are in my top 10 and then probably three of those would always be in my top five um the world ends with you already talked about that i just love the style i love the story i love the world i love everything about that is incredible i'm so happy that there are people that are going to be able to experience that for the first time whether through the switch version which i think is while not perfect or ideal is still like better than nothing and i'm interested to see what the animation does uh Mm -hmm. in terms of like adapting that content but uh, I am always of the opinion that more, more the world ends with you is good. Um, uh, Near Automata is is very up there for me. Uh, that game's story just resonated with me. Uh, the the style resonated with me. The storytelling, I think, the way that it tells its story is fascinating, and the way it kind of it feels like a game that was built to tell a story. Like there was not a single part of that game that felt like it was tacked on for a gameplay reason. All of it mm. feels like it's very narratively tied in as well. Uh, down to even things like uh, there's this incredible scene where uh, when you're playing through 9S's section of the story, he's able to hack different things. There's a part where you can actually, you're gradually hacking uh, this character over and over again who is actually another character that you could play as and you realize that with each gradual hack you are destroying pieces of their menu and the more you the more you destroy their menu and their inventory the more their abilities change and stuff like that and it's just 
it's a very cool moment where it all just like gets turned because you throughout this whole game you're doing this like kind of bullet hell shooter where you're hacking you're like oh cool it's just a mini game but then you actually do that and you're like oh my god i'm just shooting the menu like i'm destroying the inventory um there's some really cool stuff like that in there um uh so that was two um and no bioware games that means i can't throw mass effect 2 in there um but i would say i have talked a lot about it uh vampire the masquerade bloodlines is an incredible rpg that tells a story that is really unlike just about any other rpg that's out there and also does it in a way that is incredibly replayable uh, incredibly in depth uh, i think some of the storytelling in that is absolutely fantastic also a really frustrating game to follow because a lot of the good criticism about it happened like when it came out because that was like you you want to talk about if we did this like years before when we did uh coming up in the age of like you know the kieran gillens and stuff like that like the really early era of crit and stuff like that they were all over it and then they all left <laughs> and uh there's been kind of a dearth of it and i remember i was looking around on youtube the other night i was just like what's i, I need like a good long form piece of crit about this game um I, I, can't, I can't find one uh and the ones i kept finding were just like the worst readings of it that i've ever so I, i'd have to like spend an entire hour going into detail about why it was bad it was just bad um but yeah um like imagine if you pulled up a last of us analysis and they were like the zombie killing rules i love it when you stab a dude in the head and it's like apply that to like bloodlines it's just ugh. um so those three and then i guess for my other two i'll just throw in some games that had pretty massive impact on my life um mm. and i'd say final fantasy 10 was one of them very early on where that was kind of when games for me went from just a thing that i could do that was a fun thing to do but it wasn't really anything i thought was like big or anything that was like my first big rpg where i was like oh games can tell stories and games can like have characters that i care about mm. and i was young at the time so that was yep. like a huge revelation for me but um that was how i eventually got into things like kingdom hearts and stuff like that uh and then I guess, like, if I was to pick, um, I don't know, like, a game that had, like, significant impact on the way that my life trajectory changed. I wouldn't say this is my favorite game. Uh, but I, if I had to say, like, a game that had massive impact on the way that my life changed, uh, StarCraft II. Uh, mm -hmm. If I had not picked up StarCraft II... I never would have started watching competitive StarCraft 2. I never would have gotten into the competitive side of gaming. I never would have then sought out League of Legends. I never would have gotten really into League of Legends, which then got me into even more esports, which then got me into Dota 2, which then got me into all my like many esports fascinations, which eventually led like, you know, my way into the gaming industry and all that. So, um that was a very impactful game on my life. I also love Warcraft 3 and StarCraft Brood War as well, but I enjoyed those in different ways, whereas StarCraft 2 was what got me into that area of those games. So, yeah, I'd put that up there. Um, and just in terms of impact it had. And also, I, I like the world of StarCraft a lot. I love the Protoss and the Zerg. I'm a bit more of a Zerg guy these days, but... Uh, Ken, what about you? So, for taking out Bioware games, because, like, Mass Effect 3... Or... So, okay, here's where it gets complicated, because my top three video games of all time are, I generally put them in franchises because 
the, the specific ones that this is about, they are very much like pieces of one story that are like, right, right, and right. so like with one being Mass Effect, uh, two right under that would be Danganronpa one through three, which I mean yes, that it, one of the ends was the anime, but that's more like that story is like right under Mass Effect for me, and then right under that would be Last of Us one part one and two, um, but if I'm taking up the Mass Effect, so I got to do like what is essentially my top six, um, those three are set. The ones that are under it kind of just shift around depending on how I'm feeling that day. Um, probably the answers would be... I, I guess it would be Persona 5 Royal now, because that is the definitive version. Uh, Final Fantasy X-2. Uh, Sly... Mm, one of the Sly Coopers, I don't know which one. Mm, three or two, two or three is one of them. Mm, I'm going to put a pen in that. Um, Uncharted 4. Uh, specifically, just because that series is fragmented in a way that I've never really talked about. I've never had any reason to talk about on the podcast, but um, that series has some ups and downs in it, and I think 4 was just, like, the perfect cap off of what I needed that to be. Um, God, how many is that? Am I, am I at 5? Is that a 5? You're at 7. Am I really? <laughs> Fuck. Because you named all three Danganronpa games and then named four more games. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, ma- okay, Mass Effect 1 through 3, that's one, that's like number one. Danganronpa right. 1 well, through 3 is number two. You still, named, you still named The Last of Us and Danganronpa and then named three more games after it. <laughs> okay, so I'm at five. Yeah, you're at five. <laughs> oh, but that doesn't include, like, Journey and... <laughs> God, um... Ken over here just indecisive you gotta, you I am gotta indecisive. Pick. you gotta choose which children you love less ken <laughs> <sighs> okay all right if you get to add the if you get to add all those in i'm gonna toss in a shout out to virtue's last reward in the zero escape series it's a very good game everyone should should check it out um preferably play 999 beforehand but uh it's, that one is very good and Phoenix Wright Spirit of Justice is actually pretty up there. I've been thinking about going back to that game because that game's real good. Mm. Okay, I'm indecisive, Look, we, but... We love, we love a lot of games. Like, that's... Yeah. yeah. It's some order of those games. Somewhere, probably. Yeah. And Justice 2, as well, is in there. And Overwatch, probably. And, okay. Next question! Over, really? Overwatch? I... I'm, I'm a little surprised I was talking to... That. I was talking to somebody because I was playing with them this weekend, and... I feel like because they came into that game so late, there are certain issues that, like, a subset of the player base has with that game that I don't know any better to have an issue with, if that makes sense. Yeah, you didn't know how good all those characters were before they got nerfed. <laughs> Something, like, things like that. Like, there are issues that people have with, like, the current, like, the role queue stuff. Or that, like, for me, that is a fucking godsend because now I don't have to switch over and to babysit five different damage players and, um... You know, there, there are things that, like, people that have been playing since 2016 are going to have an issue with that I don't... I wasn't there when they were quote-unquote better. So, I don't really mind them in the way... Like, I, again, I don't know any better. Like, I don't... This is, there's no point of reference for me to be like, oh, this thing that used to be is the way that the game should be now. And, like, in terms of what I enjoy about that game it is pretty much exactly what I needed to be at this particular moment in time. Um... I mean, yeah, I'm sure I have issues. I was like, why the fuck did they have to nerf all the shields and make Arisa basically useless? But generally, I am happy with where that game is at from my point of reference, which is the past year and a half of playing the game. 
Can I also say that any fighting game is my favorite video game, but only when I'm winning? <laughs> so you hate Street Fighter Five when you're playing against me, then? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. If you want to, if you want to put that down, I, I'm I'm gonna be getting back into that game pretty soon. They're they're announcing some new characters next week, and uh, I got the itch again, man. I just want to play some fighting games. I mean, Guilty Gear. That's what I'm really waiting on. But. The hint that Injustice Three is about to be announced, so that's what I fucking want. Hmm. I've never. I'm not another wrong guy. Even though I thought that Mortal Kombat uh, 11 was a very good game, it's just that that style of game is not something I spend. It's what I spend like 30 hours on. It's not what I spend like 300 hours on. Mm. Um, that would be Garo Mark of the Wolves. <laughs> um, God bless that. And Soul Calibur. God, Soul Calibur is actually maybe my favorite fighting game series. Um, mm. Which is weird because I only like two games in that series and there's like six of them. But, um, man, Soul Calibur 2 and Soul Calibur 6 are both extremely good. Um, we're on to our last question to ask her at only three hours in. Jesus Christ. Uh, Longest episode of the show. I Yeah, I think we'll... Yeah, no, we passed the Mass Effect 3 finale, so you're right. Um, Nathan Miles uh, writes in as our last asker. Long time, first time. I had two questions for you guys in the Q&A episode. They're also maybe related. Number one, you've mentioned that you two used to do a podcast together that wasn't about Bioware games. I was wondering if this show is still somewhere online. We can listen to it. No. <laughs> and, um... uh, for... For reasons that we don't really need to go into, um, Ken and I met while we were writing for a, let's call it a volunteer site. Um, And there are many, many of those sites that exist out there. So that Um, does not narrow it down. Yeah. Uh, But we met through that and we did a podcast for a spell on that. Um, But files seem to have gotten lost somewhere in the time between when we left and now so uh suspiciously who knows things happen on the internet question mark um so i mean i think i think you and i both have a couple like of of our own like local recordings of those Uh, the one that really breaks my heart, which I, I, we don't seem to have as far as I can tell, is that you and I, uh, who else was on? We did a Trespasser spoiler It was cast. just us. It was just us two? Mm-hmm. Oh, that really kills me, because that's perfect. Um, yeah, we, we did a Trespasser spoiler cast at the time that that like, came out. Uh, not been able to find that since, which is kind of a shame. Uh, but everything else, I mean, we've got... We've got my left hand is the evil one, and that's the one I really care about. <laughs> um, there was there was a time on that podcast where Ken, you were playing some Otome like uh, dating amnesia game. memories. Yes, and and I always thought that name was funny because I thought it was like an amnesia game, like a horror game. Um, but every week you were giving updates on it, and it just get it kept getting progressively weirder and weirder, and I think I saved the one where it was just, like, it just went all out bonkers. At uh, the end of was, it. Yeah. Oh, that was a good time. Uh, yeah. yes. Sorry, that, that doesn't really exist anywhere online. Mm-hmm. Um, how did We're better now, two, anyway. 
yeah no we're so much better at podcasting than we were our our episodes used to actually be this long when we did them like do you remember we used to have really long episodes i remember people used to like comment on that they're like why are your podcast episodes so long we just we talk man um we're better about that now i try to keep us better about that yeah. now because we're not about that long podcast life we got things except to for do, tonight but... yeah, except for tonight one one exception uh a momentary diversion two. <laughs> not a momentary diversion uh nathan miles question number two says how did you both go about getting your jobs i've always dreamed of writing about video games i don't have any idea how you get started or the steps you have to take to get there do you need a degree how long were you doing this before you got to where you are today and they end off thanks guys love the show and the work you do at us gamer and fanbyte um i'll go first uh and i'll kind of take this question by question um how did i go about getting my job my career path again as i said even when i was in college i did some video game stuff mostly just because i could and i ended up actually meeting people through that way and stuff like that but it was mostly just a thing to do my main focus was actually sports and uh i mean my passion still obviously like i love sports um not to say i love video games anymore or any less but um i when i was in college applying for stuff i was mostly trying to get a job at say like you know your espns or your fox sports as like a producer or something like that um that didn't really go anywhere outside of some interviews so then i started looking at what an esports job might entail and that ended up with a lot of applying to various places fun fact think it's been long enough and we are far enough into this podcast that only a certain number of people will still be passionately listening in uh i once applied to riot games when i was like fresh out of college and i applied to work there and i got to like the second round of interviews and during that they asked me what my favorite video game was and in my head i was like don't say league of legends you don't want to be the brown noser you don't want to be the 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 kiss up don't say league of legends so in my head i just went with the first thing popped into mind, and I said, Dota 2. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Didn't get called back. Oh, uh, it was not for that reason. It was, it was for a myriad of other reasons, but uh, mostly having to do with the fact that I was working a night shift job at the time, and I did this interview after working, like, in, say, like, 10-hour shift overnight, and then had to do an interview after that. Um, so I was not energetic um that came across in my interview uh yeah so around that time i was doing like volunteer writing and stuff like that basically just about any way that i could write about stuff and i had some cool opportunities that i i you know we'll talk about set that aside for a minute but i did get some cool opportunities got to travel to some places and get some access that i wouldn't have normally gotten where i just some random yahoo off the street um and then at one point i applied to intern at paste magazine uh which had a ton of really awesome writers going through at the time uh austin walker at the time i believe was writing there uh contributing there i should say uh gita jackson has gone through there uh jv gwaltney uh kirk hamilton they've all gone through there i mean for for a while and ken i'm sure you'll like echo this but like for a while pace was like really 
a place where a lot of the like large media names that you would see were like coming out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, cool, I'm going to intern there. And they were like, cool, we want to have you as our games intern. You sound neat. Uh, you know, you can work remote or, you know, if you want to, you can come down here to Georgia and, and work in Georgia. Um, and me being an idiot, I was like, sure, I'll move there for six months. <laughs> um, we lived in the what, same state for half a year, and we didn't hang out once. It's fucked up. I mean, I mean, we did hang out that well because we were traveling to somewhere, so we did meet up then. I just, look that that is a whole different can of worms that I don't have time to dissect right now. <laughs> um, I was going through stuff at the time, uh, so that internship ended up opening a lot of doors for me. That was how I started freelancing for, I mean, obviously Paste, but. I started doing freelance news for IGN around the same time because I suddenly had this body of work that I could point to that said I knew how to write news articles and stuff like that. So I was doing a lot of freelance news for them. Uh, I started doing feature pitches for Playboy, uh, for Kill Screen, rest in peace. I wrote a couple things for their competitive side. Um, and I basically just started freelancing anywhere that would have me. And I was doing that for about a year and then uh, Kotaku announced it was opening its esports division called Compete, and I was on. I had actually previously applied to be a weekend editor there, and got pretty far in the interview process, but didn't make the end cut. And but it was from that that I ended up getting the call back to to go try out for the esports thing, and that was how I ended up there. And that's that's kind of like how once I was there, once I was in Compete, that was when I felt I was like in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, because finally I like had a regular thing at a site regular is the important part I think that's the thing that stuck out the most to me was like freelance work doesn't always feel very stable and it doesn't lend itself to make you feel like you're part of the industry a lot of times um but when you're when you have a regular thing that you contribute to and kind of a regular place that your byline is appearing and then you start to feel like you've really kind of quote unquote made it although even then i would say i didn't truly feel like i'd become like a figure in the gaming industry until i started working here at us gamer um because even then i would feel like very disparate and very separated from what stuff was and it's only I'd say in the last year or two years that I felt connected to the industry in any way. And so that's a grand total of five going on six years. Um, (laughs) So that's, that's how I got my job. That being said, that's not how you're going to get your job. That's Mm -hmm. just how I got my job. And uh, I'll, I'll kick it over to Ken for his story in a second here, but I just really want to emphasize that because I tell this to everybody who asks me this question not not to sound like I'm I'm tired. I just this is a question that comes up a lot because we have a job that sounds really cool on paper, um, and that's the first thing I say is that there is no silver bullet right. for how to do any of this. So it, Ken, you can take it away with your your getting into job story. Yeah, and I think like the fact that our stories diverge in such ways is kind of proof of that. So, um, okay. oh God, long ago. Uh, there were four nations. There were four nations. <laughs> <laughs> and everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Um, and that's how I got my job. Fire so, Nation, looking for <laughs> journalists. <laughs> so, I started out, um, kind of similar to like how you said, Eric, you kind of switched over to journalism over your school, and then you started doing stuff mm-hmm. there. 
I switched over to, because I had been a music major for about two years, and um, I ended up leaving school to like kind of figure it out, because I, like I said, I wasn't feeling the music uh, education major anymore. Um, and I had, it was right after like The Last of Us came out, when I was like, okay, no, this is something that I actually want to engage with in ways that I cannot right now, and if there is a job market for that, that would be totally dope. I ended up going back to school um, the following semester as um, an English major because at the time that was all that my school had. Um, stuck with it for about a, like a calendar year of school, and then I had been I started getting actual. Um, oh no no I th- I skipped something. Um, at, when I got back, I had reached out to the local or the, the, the school paper and was like, "Hey." We don't have a journalism uh, major at the school, but this is like the, the closest thing I'm going to get to anything that's like a work study or anything like that. Um, how weird would it be if I wrote about video games? And then they were like, no, that's totally fucking cool. Um, we kind of have like sporadically had people do that, but if you want to make it like your regular beat, that's cool too. Um, and I was like, hell yeah. So I was young, naive, and enthusiastic enough at the time that I was like, okay, I'm going to buy a new game every week and play it and review it for an entire school year. Um, took a lot of money and it took a lot of time and it was like the first thing I ever did there was like a review of Grand Theft Auto V and if you played that game, you know it's pretty uh-huh. fucking big. You know it's stressful. It's, that, was, that does not sound yeah. like an ideal. Yeah, and that was like my very first like quote unquote professional review, like something that was like on something that wasn't like a blog or something that... Um, it's something with an actual byline, uh-huh. and um, that was a mistake. Don't don't fucking do what I did. Um, <laughs> then the the next semester came around, and that was when I started trying to get on like actual smaller sites. Like you know, I wasn't, I did not entertain any idea that I was going to be working at IGN within a year, and I started working on some smaller sites. One that paid me like a little, but like not anywhere near as much as I needed for the work that I was putting in, but. Because of like the pro- the quick progress I had made in such what felt like such a short amount of time, I always like started thinking like, oh, I'm tough shit. I don't need to, I don't need a degree for this. I don't need school. School's not helping with me with this. So I dropped out again. Um, worked at that site for, God, it had to have been another year or so, and it got to the point where because I had been working particularly in news at that site. Also doing a podcast and reviews and features. Like, basically, I was like, oh, okay, I have a full portfolio right now. Um, got to be, I was, I, I guess I can say I, I was applying for a job at Polygon that I was, like, looking at the responsibility and I was like, I do that now. I'm totally, like, I'm totally qualified for this. And then when it got to be filling out my resume and putting my education down and I put down my high school, that was one of those, like, pivotal moments of, like, really humbling, like, you need to go back and finish college. Especially because, like, at that point, I had finished all my core classes. It was just a matter of, like, doing the yeah. journalism stuff. Yeah. So while I was gone, my school had consolidated into, like, a multi-campus situation where a journalism major was. So, like, there was officially, like, a... It was, well, it was technically called Communication with a Focus in Multimedia Journalism. That's what I've got. Um, I came back... Came back to the newspaper and was, like... It was a new teacher at this point that was uh, working with that. And I was like, hey, I'm 
really experienced in a lot of this stuff, would it be cool if I was just the editor for the paper instead of having to go out and do all these fucking stories about our campus? And then when I kind of like laid it out for her, like how long I had been doing things of that nature, she was like, hell yeah, cool. Absolutely. So I became, I kind of, I kind of ran the newspaper there for the majority, the rest of the time that I was back in school, which would have been summer 2016 to when I ultimately graduated in um, May of last year. Um, and in the midst of all of that, like, I was at school, so, like, I wasn't able to actually do a lot of the, the actual, like, games writing that I wanted to do. So I was kind of, like, freelancing here and there. I, I went, I got my, uh, christening over at Pace. Like, I wrote some stuff about, like, Persona 5 and uh, things that, like, I guess were, like, some of the first things that ever got me, quote-unquote, noticed. And, like, people were actually paying attention to anything I said. Um, freelance on and off a little bit. And other places, like, I wrote consistent reviews over at, uh, CGM Online. Um, and got some bylines over. Like, I, I did eventually end up writing for, like, Polygon a couple times. And, um, I had figured for basically the majority of the time I was at school that once I, fin- once I graduated, I would be able to, um, get a job in local news, which I actually skipped over that, too. I did end up getting a job at the local paper where I, um... I wasn't, like, a salaried person, but, like, I got paid okay money for a college student and, um, did some local reporting and even got, like, even slipped in a couple games pieces in there every now and then. Um, and so my plan was that I would, um, work in local news and then freelance on the side until, like, I kind of was more of a presence and got a, uh, a real job. And... What ended up happening was, so I, I don't know if you if you all know this, but local journalism is kind of a fucking tough industry right now, and oh, especially hundred percent, yeah, and especially in cities like where I live, where the majority of the readership is senior citizens and people that like are not leaving the town anytime soon. Um, so it was like it was frustrating to be there. It's like I wasn't getting to write about anything that I found interesting as like a you know twenty something year old in a town that was like the most of the readership was people that were not on the same wavelength as me um what eventually happened was there were a bunch of layoffs at the paper i was working at um and then after that happened my my direct superior at the time asked me for a uh for something that was the deadline was supposed to be like a month from then and it was like hey can you get that to me by the end of the week and so my immediate like you know red flags go up i'm like okay i need a fucking job whatever like whatever i can find right now so I just, like, tweeted out, like, you, you, you might see this a lot, like, in, in the media industry, like, when people are looking for work, they're just like, hey, I am available for all of this. Um, put out some feelers around, and ultimately got in contact with John Warren over at Fanbyte, in front of the show. Um, and they were looking for a weekend editor at Fanbyte, um, which was, even just for, like, what was technically on paper, like, two days of work, more than I'd ever gotten paid in my life, and... Eventually, I got moved on to uh, week new, like week long news. So again, now I'm the primary news writer of the site. Um, and a lot of the only reason I was aware that Fanbyte was even hiring was because I knew people that also exist in the freelance space. And that is, I guess, like one of the major diverging points of mine and Eric's career is that like a lot of my opportunities came through sort of like freelance communities and like knowing people that were mm-hmm. not necessarily 
you know, in charge of shit, but just were, like, aware of things and were able to, like, pass on a good word. And, um... So that, that, that is to say that, like, Eric and I have been in here about as long, but we both had drastically different diverging paths and, um... Work at sites that are like you know they were both we both wrote about, wrote about games that they are um, they have very different voices and very different uh, uh-huh. ways of going about things and that's uh, and I think we both are at places that are great fits for both of us and I think that's something um, that is if, if this is something that you're trying to do you need to be aware of that like what I want to phrase this right because I am giving advice um, we are transitioning into the advice phase of this question <laughs> right. Um, don't feel like there you have to emulate people that you read. Learn from them, but don't feel like one individual is the right way to go about this, whether it's getting the job or doing the job. Um, don't copy him either. Shouts yeah. to Philip. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Um, if you're start, if you're just starting out, like if you don't have like any sense of this, like be willing to, like, look for sort of, like, outlets that you can do this, and that are, like, I guess low stakes is the best way I know to put it, like, don't immediately, like, dive in pitching Polygon on some massive feature. Mm. Um, like, give yourself time to figure out what it is that resonates with you and, like, how you can bring your own perspective to something that makes your writing special and makes it stand out. Um, and then find the outlets that suit it, like, plug 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 fanbite is always taking pitches um and we're pretty good about trying to like get people that have maybe not been published before or mainly only been published a couple times um and the with people that are like willing to work with you and like kind of help you figure some of these out in some capacity like i'm not saying they're gonna like mentor you but they are gonna like give you notes and like hey this is why this didn't work this is why this does work um uh-huh. where you know people that are at bigger outlets they're gonna have more loaded inboxes and they're not going to be able to give you that sort of like however Daniel long it is, is like one-on-one time daniel riendo is over there at fanbyte and mm-hmm. i'll say that like when i was starting out in my like freelance phase um my first freelance phase um <laughs> daniel was like uh definitely very helpful in in mm. that respect like always gave good edits so um i would definitely back that up yep. and also um well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'll link it, if I'll link it or something, but um, Into the Spine is a uh, kind of like a freelancer hub that a lot of people, like I've been, I've written there a couple times and a lot of other people have as well that are like well established at this point. They have like a whole uh, freelancer like kind of guide, like kind of to help people, like it's a really comprehensive thing um, to kind of give you a sense of like how to start, where to start, at least in a more general sense. Because like, you know, Eric and I started at the same place, basically, but we kind of stumbled our way in different directions and ended up where we did, but that at least can give you a very good starting point to start the stumbling into other situations and other opportunities. Um, What else? Uh, You don't need a degree. It doesn't hurt, though. Like, I mean, working with people in, like, your your school journalism program is, like, one of the most rewarding experiences I think you can have if you're starting this. Um... Like, by the time that I had come back, and, like, I was the editor of the paper, and the people I was graduating with didn't have as much professional experience as I was, I was at least able to instill some wisdom on them as well. Um, and so I think that, like, communal aspects of learning that shit together 
really helps you kind of not feel so isolated in this because I will tell you now, like, Absolutely. especially right now when there's a fucking pandemic, freelancing is very isolating and it is tough and you need to find people. They're going to be in your corner that are going to be willing to, like, help you learn. Um, gosh, what else? Is that it? That ready to go? Can, like, can, I, can I hop in on, yeah. that, on that point as well? Yes. Um, so you don't need a degree. A degree does a few things for you. A degree shows that you can start something and you can finish it, or at right. least that you can follow through. And you'd be surprised, like honestly surprised, how much that is going to separate someone from everyone else in the pack. Because Ken and I have both heard so many stories of people, like I mean, other like some freelancers will be like, they they'll submit stories super late, or mm. they'll or they'll like take forever on writing a story or they'll they'll just not do it <laughs> and like yeah. i that's not an attitude you can have in right. work i don't I, that, I still don't understand some of that stuff that i've heard yeah. but um it's what it, one thing a degree does is that it shows you started something and that you can finish it it also it the big global secret that no one really wants to tell you is that bachelor's degrees are pretty much interchangeable um barring whether you want to like go into higher levels of education or not Mm. but especially if you're in like a bachelor of arts um that more just shows that you have a certain level of education and that you have been trained in certain ways like you probably have the ability to think critically you probably have the ability to problem solve you probably you probably have the ability to work in a team um i mean look like think about what high school was like you're not you're learning some things but really you're also just learning like applicable life skills like how to learn like have you if you ever think about that like learning how to learn is an important step that some people still don't get and like learning how to retain knowledge and how to read critically and how to then write critically um those are all things that a degree can show that you have accomplished um and yes there is a level of prestige but here's like the other dirty secret that more people talk about i think there are a lot of people that want to get into this industry Mm. like straight up and a degree by itself in a vacuum is not going to set you apart um and so that's why like that's why i stressed my story earlier about doing that extracurricular show that i ended up doing because not only did that like kind of ignite my passion and affirm what i wanted to do but that gave me a body of work that nobody else had i was able to say that I took a show from, I mean, there were nights where <laughs> one specific night we were in the library and we were working on the student computers in the library and we had to reshoot standups because like something was off or something had changed. So while some of the crew went out to go reshoot, I stayed behind to work on graphics for the episode, like the lower thirds and the transition graphics and all that because I had been teaching myself After Effects through tutorials and stuff. So this gives you a sense of what I'm talking about. But my other job was that we had all of our editing stuff open on various computers, 
and those computers would go to sleep after 20 minutes of inactivity. So every like 15 minutes, I'd have to get up and go around and wag all the <laughs> like mouses, mice on these computers to keep them awake so we didn't lose any progress. Um, and we, we took it from that to being a thing that was funded by the college and was airing on Fox Sports Southwest every week. Like that was the level that we took it from. So like when I went to go apply to things, I could tell that story and that story, like you might be like, Oh, that's you had a show on Fox sports Southwest. That's what, no, that, that story like exemplifies that I'm a person who can start something and then see it through and develop it. I know how to plan. I know how to lead teams. Like it. So that's what you need to look for. It are like opportunities to do things like that. And another thing that Ken brought up, uh, find peers find other Mm. people who have the same drive that you do i mean like real real fucking talk here at three plus hours into this episode (laughs) uh i would not be where i am if i hadn't met ken because if i had just gone to a site it'd been a bunch of yahoos and trust me there were some yahoos who uh (laughs) were just there to like get a review key and and write about how fun a game was and move on with their lives like they didn't see this as a career they saw it more as a hobby that's fine do what you want to do i'm not here to judge specifically on that if that's if that's what you want to do go for it but um for me it was something that i wanted to do like capital d do i wanted to be my profession and ken was someone else who did that and we would edit each other and we would suggest pitch ideas to each other and we would hone each other's pitches we would critique each other's writing and like we wouldn't pull punches either because we both wanted each other to be better at what we were doing and you've got to find people like that and that's the other tricky thing that I think some people miss out on is like having a mentor is very good. Having a mentor can help you navigate some C's. It could definitely help you get connections and stuff, but that's not the same as having someone else. Like I think having a rival is really important too. I'm not going to say that Ken and I are rivals necessarily. <laughs> we are, but in street fighter, uh, but um, having someone else that you're like at the same level with, and you're just constantly pushing each other is going to make you better Mm. and it's going to give you somebody to commiserate with and all the bullshit too which is just great yeah i think Um, like on that note specifically the another reason you need to find peers and i like this is not a fun thing to explain to people but this is going to be like it's not an easy business to break into and it's going to take a while it takes a like eric and i like we we were several years in before we got steady work like even a couple years in before we got like even properly paid work like it's i and then I, you lose your job and you have to go freelancing again <laughs> happens to the best of us um <sighs> so like you need to find people that are going to be there to like help you weather the storm of like the days where it's fucking you want to give up and because like i we've you know we've been around long enough that we've seen a lot of people kind of fall off and you know props to them to be like this is their art easier ways to support myself and games can still can still be the thing that I love and enjoy and enjoy in like a different capacity and you know again like more power to them and like I have nothing but respect for those people um we are the crazy ones that were like oh let's keep fucking going um so you're like you're gonna need people like that you can kind of that can rally around you and you can rally around them because it's I have known maybe, like, two people in all my years of doing this that somehow managed to make this happen in what feels like overnight. 
and everyone else it like still has days now where they're like this fucking sucks this is a thankless job and mm-hmm. some days it's gonna be um but if you've got people that give you a reason to want to stick around on the bad days then it's gonna make you like you're gonna last until the good ones yeah and there's there's so many other pieces of advice that we can give that are like you know find your niche find an interest that that you think you can really own and then pitch around that like again beat coverage is something we talked about and like there's there's so many other things like um alana pierce actually just did a video on this on her youtube channel recently she's a former ign person who's now at inside gaming is doing some other stuff and she did like a live edit of a news slash feature piece i would it was kind of an op-ed at the end of the day, but um, that was really, I think, might be eye-opening because every every once in a while, like especially when I was starting out, even when I was freelancing, there would be people who'd be like, "Oh, hey, you know, like you're in the industry, like check out my piece. What do you think?" And I'd look at it and I'd be like, "No, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong." And like, I just see a lot of really common mistakes that are easy to note. But like, I learned to not do those things through years of having that worked out of me and part of that was like you know the courses i took at college i took a news writing course and stuff like that but also part of that is just repetition and so that's maybe the last note i would leave it on is like do you will get better by doing you will make Mm. bad things you will look (laughs) like your writing's not going to be good at the start your writing's not going to be good the middle it might be bad at the end too look we all have bad days but (laughs) like you like part of this being a profession means that it is a thing that you do and it's a thing that you've got to get used to doing and it's a thing you've got to get in the habit of doing and like there's that old saying like how you get to carnegie hall you practice 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 like that's how you do it is you don't like sit around and think like, oh, well, I'd love to write this review of Ghost of Tsushima, but I can't get access because you know the the codes are out there and they won't give a random key to a random person. Like I've actually heard that excuse a few times that people say that they can't get into games writing because they don't get review keys. Mm-hmm. It's like that's not a hindrance. Like I've seen so many good journalists who write without access, who write stories, who go out and find things to do. Maybe that means you stretch your legs a bit and do reporting. Maybe that means you do crit about an old game that you already own, but you have a take on it that's interesting, or you have a way of looking at it that's interesting. Right. Or, you know, it's it's a game that you're just playing in your off time. You buy Ghost of Tsushima, like, you know, six months after it's come out, and you come out of it with something that you haven't seen anywhere else. Like, I think that stuff ends up forging you into a better writer overall than it would be if you were just handed a review key and told to write a review. Like, so write, 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 don't stop writing and keep pushing yourself and find people who are going to push you. Um, And the last caveat, I'm going to leave it here, at least in my, my own experience is that I had the benefit of like, I, I have privilege, like, I had parents who were willing to let Mm. me stay at their house for like what was basically about a year and a half between when I was uh, doing a lot of my early writing and working at a local news station and then when I was freelance writing 
and I was making some money, but I was not making nearly enough money to live on my own and pay regular rent or anything like that. And so right up until I was about hired full time, I was still living with my parents. And that's like I had that luxury. I had that ability to do that. And I don't know what would have changed if I didn't have that. Um, and so that's something you need to be cognizant of, because I know other people who have made it in this industry who don't always have that that luxury either but it is more difficult for them and and that goes into discussions of uh, of a lot of things but um you know big be cognizant that this is a difficult thing to get into and that it's going to be tough there you might have to work a day job like look yeah it's that's i sometimes it's that I literally did not stop. Like, I did not get to the point where I was able to live off of this exclusively until fucking September of last year, and I started in 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I, when I was freelancing between when I left Compete and when I uh, when I started at US Gamer, I was working a part-time job because that gave me enough income to not have to worry about rent every month. Otherwise, I would have been literally like, I might have been able to cut it, but it would it would have been cutting real close. And then when tax season came around, I probably would have lost a lot of money in the process. So, uh, yeah, again, like be cognizant of that stuff and, you know, know that this is work and that, but if it's something you really want to chase in, in my experience, people who want to work in games, will know pretty quick whether they just want to work in games and not necessarily write about games. But people who want to write about games, and I emphasize write because that's what this job is, is writing. It's not video game playing. Video game playing happens in off hours. <laughs> that's the worst part. Uh, but uh, you know pretty quick if this is the thing you want to do. And you will feel that. And again, like I mentioned before, you're going to feel it in your gut. And if that's what you want to chase, more power to you. I wish you all the best because um, we've all been there before. We, we know what it's like. So on that uplifting note, <laughs> Ken, I think we should probably wrap it. It's, it's yeah. been going pretty long. Um, I want to thank you again to all our listeners. I'm not going to do the full shout out because it's not like a normal episode or anything like that. But thank you again to everyone on our Patreon on NormDFM. Uh, Patreon.com slash NormDFM. We, we love having you all supporting us. We love having you all submit all these questions. Uh, again, if if you're just listening to this on the off chance that you've never listened to us before, I don't know why. Um, we are Normandy FM. We're a Bioware retrospective podcast. Uh, we update every week with our playthroughs. We're about to head into Dragon Age Inquisition, and that's going to take us through the rest of the year. We're very excited for it, uh, but we were glad we were able to find one night to do all this for y'all. So on that note, for Ken, for myself, thank you so much. We'll see you next week for the start of Dragon Age Inquisition. We have watched and waited 